This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 111, and this week I am very pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello, Gerard. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Uh, I'm looking forward to arguing with you for the next two and a half hours <laughs> over uh, the proper ranking of the Sailor Scouts. Oh, okay. So you want to do this again? Let's uh, go. <laughs> Uh, I know you have you have that boring. Well, I, the only the only bone of contention is that I had a Mercury at number three, uh, but you had her at the very bottom, and I thought that was outrageous. Look, I my problem with Mercury. It's actually just it's hilarious. I, I was just talking about this with my girlfriend yesterday, and she and I both agree on this. Mercury is like too perfect, which um, my favorite two Sailor Senshi are also too perfect: Haruka and Michiru, uh, Neptune and Uranus. But they have the attitude that people who are that perfect would have. So it works for them. Like they are conceited. They are kind of fucking stuck up. They think they can do everything better than everybody else, which they can. So it makes sense. Meanwhile, Ami is good at everything. Like she's a fucking genius. She's somehow a great swimmer. She's like good at everything she does. And she like writes songs, I think, in one episode. Basically, anytime there's a filler episode, she has a new scale. But, like, she's also, like, the nicest person in the world and doesn't have any ego about anything and is very timid. It's like, if you were really that perfect, you would have an attitude about it. You wouldn't just be this, like, quiet person. So, no, Ami Ami can get in the bin. She's somehow, like, too perfect and also too boring. It's a really weird and bad combination. Now, did you first start watching Sailor Moon when it was, like, originally on North American TV in syndication? Or was that later? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I started. I watched it as a kid. Yeah, so probably the first. Yeah, well, which is why, like, my three favorite are like Jupiter, Mars, and Mercury. Although I put Venus and Moon at the bottom, but like to me, that I was the I that's it. the more like formative stuff that I watched. And I did, and I was watching that when I was I don't know like eight, nine, ten, and I didn't watch any more like Sailor Moon until I was like in my early twenties. So that's why you know maybe yeah. uh, I maybe I have some rose colored glasses on uh, Sailor Mercury. <laughs> I'm glad you let me go on my Sailor Mercury rant. She's very overrated. I don't get it. I love the, but yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I loved as a kid. I guess I loved. I probably loved Mars as a kid. I don't even remember. Oh, well, she was such and, a badass. Yeah, 
Yeah. And then like later on in life, I discovered um, like the outers and stuff. I was always really into the outers and Sailor Venus uh, like really grew on me because she's the only character on that show that like, instead of becoming like a more responsible person or whatever, she just like fucking devolves. Like she becomes like more and more crazy as the show goes on. And I really respect that about her. So, you know what I find funny too, though? Nobody ever ranks the starlights. And I never even, I am guilty of this too. I never remember to rank the starlights when I'm ranking the century. I always yeah, remember no. to rank the outers, but I never, I never remember to rank the starlights. Same. Yeah. I guess cause they're only there. I guess cause they're only there for like a season, but I mean, the outers are only there for like a season and a half. For, like, well, see, like, I don't, I don't like, I never got into the fandom necessarily. So I don't even know if there's like certain like backlash or anything or like a part of the fandom that like resents them or anything like that. Uh, there's parts of the fandom that resent everybody. Okay. It's very, very factual. Uh, um, I don't know if anybody agrees on anything in Sailor Moon fandom, but all right. Uh, what else has been up to you with you other than uh, Sailor Moon rankings, Gerard? Uh, what was your last episode? Was it Champion Carnival? Uh, no, it was the oh, uh, half year in review, I think. Oh, you're right. You were on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm so bad at remembering the last episode people did. But you were on, you're definitely on the Champion Carnival episode. Yeah. Uh, well, since then, it's basically been a lot of more uh, New Japan and still trying to keep up with watching every show that all japan puts out although the amount of attention i divert to some of them maybe i have it on in the background i admit it yeah what have you been thinking of like because we talked about this i i assume you, i think you listened last week i, think I did. You told me you did what did you have any like difference of opinion that someone who watches like a ton of all japan um like as far as like their booking and how interesting not- it's been not a ton. No, there was like no hot takes that are like you guys were wrong or anything like that. Um, but it was more like a like I don't know. I think I would say though. I think the undercards are getting a little better. Uh, they're just. It's not like there's new talent, mm-hmm. but they're just booking smarter. They're giving you a couple of like. It's usually the young boys versus other juniors, or sometimes it's like juniors versus juniors. First couple of matches, and um, yeah, I. I- I definitely think like the undercards, you know, maybe I should give them another chance. I've really gotten so used to like skipping them <laughs> that like I should probably go back and watch more of them. But you know, sometimes they are pretty like that last Corican, um yep. the one we reviewed last week, there are some good stuff like the Tajiri Akira match and stuff is pretty good. But yeah, I mean here I I did skip the undercard. I just didn't have enough time to watch uh you know, three full shows. Right. Um but yeah, I mean, they're, they're not a promotion because I, I worried when I listened back that we almost came off too negative. And like, I I like the promotion. Like, I enjoy watching it. And I watch it, you know, more than a lot of other companies. But like, it, it does sometimes feel like a little stagnant to me in a way that like other companies don't typically feel. So I hope they do do some different stuff, you know, going into 2020. Yeah, no, I don't think uh, I don't think you were too tough at all last week. I think it was a pretty honest assessment. Although I like I starting to see a little more life, so I'm cautiously optimistic. But uh, we'll know probably pretty soon in a couple of months on the next couple of tours what the direction will be more clearly. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we get into like what we're going to talk about today, I wanted to mention a couple little housekeeping things. First of all. 
I was supposed to mention this on the previous two episodes, but kept forgetting. So I'm going to mention it right away. Uh, we might have noticed we moved podcast hosts. For it. We moved from uh, the audio boom to Red Circle. And one thing I'm supposed to push for you here is that we have a little link in the episode description. Um, if you're, you have to be viewing us either on the Red Circle website or through Wrestling Omakase's feed. But if you go to, if you're not on there, if you're viewing, you're listening to us through the, um, the uh, the main Voices of Wrestling podcast feed, you're just want to going to want to go to RedCircle.com/shows/wrestling-omakase, like an actual dash, and then you'll see a little button there that says sponsor this podcaster. So, you know, as we talked about last week, don't get a lot of ad reads here on Wrestling Omakase. Uh, I don't know if it's because the the ad companies are not like lining up to advertise on Japanese wrestling because the Super J Cash had the same issue. But if you want to help out the podcast, if you want to give a little bit of money and you know support what we do, we very much appreciate that. And since we're a rotating guest podcast, if you do donate, um, whatever episode, like whatever week you donate, uh, I will give a cut that week to that week's guest. So. If you donate this week, Gerard here will get a cut of any donations. Um, if you donate during another week, whoever that week's guest is will get a cut of the donations. So basically, it's like a little tip or whatever. Basically, a way of tipping. If you like that week's episode, if you enjoy what we do here, and you want to give back, uh, go ahead and sponsor. I'm not going to push this a ton. I might bring it up, you know, at the start of every episode, but it's not going to be like, you know, inserting ad breaks into every show or anything to remind you to sponsor. I would really appreciate it if you do, and I'm sure. You know, our guests would too, but, you know, it's totally up to you, totally optional. Uh, we're never going to go behind a paywall or anything. I just think, you know, we I do this because I like it, not because I'm trying to, you know, get rich off it or anything. Uh, so that's that. They told me to push that. Second of all, um, I wanted to plug my article on Voices of Wrestling that went up today. So I wrote about 4,000 words on the... Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame, the 2019 candidates uh, through what's called the Gordy List, you know, evaluating them through that through that lens. And I think it's a really interesting uh, article. <laughs> I mean, I wrote it. I guess I better think it's an interesting article. But the bigger point here is, you know, it's going to be like the the jumping off point for when we do an episode in a few weeks uh, on the voice on the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Um, you know, Hall of Fame list. So I hope you check that li- that article out. It's up on voiceofwrestling.com. I worked pretty hard on it, and I just wanted to plug that here. Uh, with that out of the way, we can turn our attention to this week's uh, actual topics. First of all, with New Japan, the Destruction in Beppu show. Uh, Destruction in Beppu took place on Sunday, September 15th, from the Beppu Beacon Plaza. Uh, it had an attendance of 2,430, which was actually up from their last uh, their last destruction in Beppu, uh, I think only by a few hundred. Actually, I had that in front of me and then lost it. But, you know, pretty good, pretty good number, definitely up from last year, you know, pretty much in line with what they've been doing, uh, you know, all year long, just up a little bit everywhere. Yeah, it was 2,280 last year at destruction in Beppu, so up a little bit. Um Overall, though, this is, as we're going to talk about, I don't, I don't know how Gerard feels, but I thought this was the weakest New Japan show of the year. Um, 
you know, there was a really good main event, which saved it to some degree, but the undercard was just very lifeless and, you know, just wasn't a very good show. I don't know. What'd you think of the show overall? Uh, yeah, maybe. Or uh, I think uh, another candidate was uh, Sengoku Lord. It wasn't that Goto and Jay White? Mm-hmm. No, Goto and Jay White was uh, was a different one. That was that. That was like a. I forget if that was a special road to. Oh, I think Sengoku was Lord Kyo. was uh, maybe. Uh, Sengoku Lord was that, was Ibushi and Z. Yeah, yeah, I love that match. Okay, yeah, whatever match, whatever show had that uh, Goto versus White match, the first one uh, is probably my. Is either Hino Kuni? Yeah, it was Hino Kuni. Yeah, I think it was Hino, Hino Kuni. Yeah, yeah, Hino Kuni. That would be my other uh, candidate for worst New Japan uh, show of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's been a good year, so there's not a ton of candidates, in my opinion. But this one, and yeah, that Hino Kuni was not very good either. But, you know, it's destruction. I mean, there's always... I When we talk about these two shows together, I mean, for only one of them to be what I would call bad is actually, like, probably ahead of the curve for the Destruction Tour. Remember, there was a few years ago where, like, either two out of the three or all three were bad. I think well, it was, like, the year that Kenny defended again. Last year wasn't so great either. Well, oh, you mean last year, sorry. With Kenny's defending... No, no, uh, I think I mean two years ago. No, no, with Kenny defending the U.S. title against Jews. Oh, that one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that really wasn't very good. Um and then there, I think there was like a, I don't I think there was a, the other main event was like Tanahashi and ZSJ and their their only bad match I think for the Intercontinental. Um, and then there was I don't even remember what the fuck the third main event was. Uh, probably a briefcase. No, it wasn't a briefcase defense, was it? Maybe I don't know. The point is, it wasn't very good that tour. Um, here, I think this is you know one bad show and one good show is actually kind of ahead of the average for destruction. Uh, but the opener here for Destruction and Beppu, and what's been the highlight of the entire tour, really, is the Young Lions Cup. And Carl Fredericks got the win here over Yota Suji in 723 with the elevated half Boston Crab uh, that moved Carl to 4 and 1 and dropped Suji to 1 and 4. Um, this was a little disappointing. You know, I just said the Young Lions Cup has been really good, and, and it has. And both these guys have been pretty good in it, although. I actually think Carl Fredericks maybe he was a little overhyped for me. He just never he hasn't been like um quite like the badass I was expecting. He's looked he's looked better in the tags, if anything, than even in the singles matches for me. Whereas, you know, I think some of the the other two LA Young lines have been a little more impressive for me. Uh Yota's been awesome and I thought, you know, this was a this match was a bit of a step down for him, but I went three stars on it. It was still, you know, a good little opener, just was a little bit below what the two of them have been doing, especially Suji on this tour. I don't know. What do you think of this one? Uh, yeah, I'd go about three stars as well. Uh, I really think this tour has been a, a bit of a coming out party for Suji. I think a lot of people had thought, and I and I include myself in that, had thought that he was like, I, I don't want to say bad, but like the weakest of the crop. And um, he has just incredibly stepped it up in the in the in the tournament matches and as well as the tag matches i thought he looked great in the tag match on the next night too yeah he's he's been really good um you know i definitely think he he closed the gap at oemura if not like completely closed it so because i think there definitely was a gap there earlier uh and then the second young lions cup match shota umino Defeating Alex Coughlin in 814 with the Fisherman Suplex. 
uh, moves him to four and one and drops Coughlin to two and three. Coughlin's been like super impressive on this tour to me. Like he's been the guy, you know, that like, um, she, you know, Shibata always calls, apparently calls him the world's strongest baby. Or he did in that new in that interview I read on the new, on the NJPW site, and he's just been like awesome on this entire tour. You know, he's a very he's a young guy, so he's got a lot of time ahead of him, basically. And he's you know he already looks great. So um, and Shota, you know, Shota, Shota. I mean, there's no, I don't mean that derogatory or anything. It's just like he's so good that I don't think, you know, I think people kind of take it for granted at this point for how good he is as a young lion. Uh, but yeah, I went three and a half on this. I just thought it was a good match, you know, really good match with like the two of them beating the crap out of each other. You know, about as good of an eight minute match as you're get between two young lions as you're going to see. Uh, yeah, uh, it was pretty good. I went three and a quarter. Uh, I find it interesting. I'm kind of curious now how they decided who got left off of the G1 um, uh, climax tour. Because well, I, Coughlin think Coughlin, was- I think Coughlin was, I think he was sick. Oh, that's okay. what I read. Okay. Well then, uh, yeah, I'm reading that some. Like, yeah, I think he was supposed to go, but he got sick. Okay, well then that makes sense then. But yeah, I mean, just awesome. Uh, and Coughlin, who I guess people have seen the least of, uh, has just been like I think uh, shot up on like one of the like up people's lists of one of the best young lions just from his performance so far. Yeah, I mean, I think he uh, to me he's a standout. The LA Dojo guys. I don't know how you feel like i put him right above clark connors um i don't know for me right now um i would go connors and then uh fredericks or coughlin i don't know i kind of get what you're seeing now that we're seeing more fredericks singles matches that he's not quite as good as i was led to believe or i or was watching in tags but uh you know i'm gonna have to wait till the end of the tournament before i make my final uh take on that one yeah, I mean, I don't think Carl Fredericks is like bad or anything. To make to be clear, and he's still got like so much like charisma and star quality, and he's got like a great look that I'm sure he'll he's got, probably going to be a big star. I just think like as far as my enjoyment in this tournament, like from a strictly in ring standpoint, like he's been third place out of the three to me. Like, and it's not really even close. So uh, after that, we had the eight man tag team match: Nagata Taguchi. Red Narita and Yuya Imura against Manabu Nakanishi, Toa Hanare, Clark Connors, and Michael Richards. Um, Taguchi taps out Michael Richards in 1118 with the Oh My and Gar and Cole. I always enjoy that as a move name. Um, as far as this match goes, first of all, I thought Nakanishi, especially at first, I guess like those six months off really did him well because he was moving. I mean, there's one point early in the match where they all ran across the ring to, like, you know, take out their opponents off the other apron. And usually, like, Nakanishi would be way behind the rest of his team, but he was, like, right behind them. Like, even on English commentary, Kevin Kelly seemed, like, visibly, or uh, I shouldn't say visibly, audibly shocked that, like, Nakanishi made it across the ring that fast. Um, But, yeah, this was fun. This actually was my favorite of the undercard tags which says a lot about the rest of the undercard tags of the show too. But I thought this was a really enjoyable, like three and a quarter match. I, I had a good time with the young line battle and Nagata Nakanishi battle. Good time was had by all. 
Um, yeah, uh, I liked it a lot. Uh, the, the Nakanishi moving better was the first thing I noticed. Uh, I'm just worried that it's not going to last forever. I bet you he, if he ends up in World Tag League, I bet you he'll be moving uh, pretty slow by January. I was going to um, say, it didn't, I didn't even think it really lasted all the way through this match. But. Yeah. Or it was like, yeah, because clearly Nakanishi, like, you put him in a match, he tries too hard and blows up or, like, cannot physically do it. Because remember yeah. his uh, New Japan Cup match this year when he wanted to do, like, a Pescado? Yeah. And then I mean, the like, guy, you know, the guy, I, like, he's this big guy that can barely move, but he wants so bad to be good. And, like, I think he is good anyway because he has this, like, charisma to him. And his, like, sense of timing is still really, really good. So I still, yeah, I really enjoy a, watching him wrestle. Yeah, he's got uh, the no, veteran go intelligence. Well, he's, he's got the veteran intelligence so he can, like, compensate for his uh, body by just, you know, knowing when to pick his spots. And that kind of thing. He's very endearing, I guess. Too, it's like he just like you watch him and you want to you want him to do well. I don't really get people who like hate seeing Nakanishi. It's like you, he, he pops up four times a year on fucking undercard tags. I think he'll survive. But yeah, I, I enjoy him. Um, after that, we had a six man tag team match with Rapungi 3K and Jushin Thunder Liger against Suzuki, Kenny Maru, and Doki. Um, I didn't really care for this that much. I thought it was like just really got bogged down um, by all the outside the ring brawling as some of these Suzuki Goon matches are, um, you know, prone to do. Uh, Show ended up pinning Doki in 1036 after the 3K. Um, you know, the, the Liger stuff, I mean, it, it was the real angle was the next night anyway, but obviously the big thing here was Suzuki and Liger brawling. Uh, you know, I just didn't think there was a lot to this. Uh, yeah, uh, this is probably the least uh, effective match of any of the Liger Suzuki multi man tags. Um, it was just kind of boring, and I don't usually like. I know you mentioned the crowd brawling. If it's Liger and Suzuki doing it, I don't mind it at all, generally. But there wasn't anything, anything to it. It was just basically let's get through this and wait for tomorrow night, and let's give a win for Rapongi 3K because I think that'll factor into things going forward too. Yeah, so I only won two stars, just not not very good. Yeah. Uh, the next match was a ten man tag team match to build up uh, the following night's big matches: uh, the Bullet Club, Kenta, Bad Luck Fale, Yujiro Takahashi, Taiji Shimori, and El Fantasmo defeating Kota Ibushi, Makabe Honma, and the Birds of Prey, Osprey and Eagles. Uh, Kenta pinned Honma in nine seventeen with the Go to Sleep. Uh, first of all, I mean, this was the debut of Kenta's new heel theme song. What'd you think of that? Did you like the uh, heel theme song? I I like the uh, other his other New Japan theme song more. Really? Yeah, I really like that the, song. I I thought that song was okay. This one to me, like, really, it both fits him and fits Bullet Club. I thought so. I liked it, but like, you know, it just feels like somewhere between like an army march and a hip hop song or something. So I thought they kind of really nailed it. But I don't know. It's like a it worked for me as far as like the, it took me two nights to really like get into it, but I, I think it works as a theme song. Generally, I never say even after like two nights that I like the new theme song. So <laughs> I, usually those things take a while on me. Um, the, the blonde hair love, I thought looked cool. And like, yes. that's a, that's such a, it's a Japanese heel tradition. If people don't know that through listening, like going all the way back to like the, I don't know if the eighties or the seventies, I want to say the eighties. I right? think it was Yumanosuke Ueda was the first one to do it. Do you know the year? 
Uh, I think this might have been in the 70s because this was okay, when, 70s. Cause he went well. It's basically if you remember Toro Yanu in like right. the mid 2000s, that was basically the ripoff of the gimmick. And he at the time had started that in IWE, which was the oh, Russia Kimura's promotion, right? Right, right. So yeah. he was like the big, the he was the big heel you go up against Kimura, yeah, yeah. And he so, was like the first Japanese heel. And right. then when they went under, I think he ended up in all Japan first. And then might have ended up in New Japan for a bit after that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to pretend '70s Japanese wrestling is like a something I'm an expert on, but um, that is interesting. I couldn't, I didn't, wasn't sure if it was like a '70s or '80s thing when the volunteer thing started, but that basically started a long tradition of like you know when you're Japanese and you turn heel, you dye your hair blonde because you know the Americans do. Well, he was the <laughs> only one to do it, I think, for a while. Didn't and he? I'm- didn't. What's it? What didn't in the nineties? What's the uh, what's it called? Do it. Oh, I remember like uh, in NWO Japan, like Goto and Ohara. Yeah, they dyed their hair blonde. But that's yeah. But it definitely picked up more in the two thousands because remember when Akiyama turned heel, he dyed his hair too. Yeah, I could I could have sworn there was like another big nineties unit that did it, but maybe I'm thinking of something incorrect. I don't know, but. Whatever. The point is, it's a tradition. And, like, you know, G- why is GVH have blonde hair? That's basically why, you know? Like, Makabe and Honma and all them, because they were originally heels. Um, but, yeah, so Kenta got the blonde hair going. He pins Honma with the go-to-sleep. Um, this match was, you know, it was fine. It wasn't, like, the kind of match that I'm, uh, you know, going to call anything that great. I mean, the, the there was, like, a really fun... Kenta Ibushi exchange at one point, but it was like maybe 30 seconds. So it was over very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, still, you know, like a two and a half star match, just to, just kind of there. Uh, my highlight was the, I guess, the Hanma and Kenta exchange, just because that's a novelty to me, even though it's happening, you know, like 15 years too late, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and then we have Sonata, Shingo, and Bushi against Okada. Goto and Romero for the fourth time of the tour. Um, and this was sadly probably the weakest match they've had. Um, you know, just really wasn't. Uh, there was like, you know, obviously the main thing here is to build up Okada, Okada and Shing- Sonata along with Shingo and Goto. And, you know, the, the Okada Sonata exchange here just felt very weird. It just felt like both of them had it firmly in half gear. It's really not the kind of thing that's going to build excitement for a title match. So. You know, especially not one that we've already seen three times this year. Um, so it just didn't didn't work there at all. I mean, Shingo and Goto did, did tag in, like, right after that and had, like, a really, like, cool exchange that made the Okada Sonata, like, half-speed one look even sillier. Um, but then there was, like, a second Okada Sonata exchange right after that that did look a little better. But that's about it. And then it ended in 1040 with Sonata tapping out Romero with the skull end. So... You know, two and three quarters, a little better than average, but nothing that blew me away. Uh, I thought this was more boring because uh, the remember how they had the back-to-back Corican ones? Yeah. I thought this was more boring than the September 5th one, which I thought was also boring. But uh, I would, yeah, like you said, this is the weakest of the, this, uh, what, this is the third or fourth time on the tour they've done this? Yeah, this exact six. Yeah, no, this is the fourth because they did all three. They did all three. Yeah, they did on all three Corkins. Yeah, and they did here, and then they were going to do it the following night yeah. too. So. so, in the September sixth is the best one that you should watch, basically. 
Yeah, we talked. We talked about that last week. Oh, okay. It's like a yeah. really cool ten minute, a really cool ten minute sprint. The last, the last night of the Corricans. The other ones you can pretty safely skip. Um, then we had Naito and Evil against Jay White and Chase Owens. Uh, Naito pinning Chase on eleven eleven with the Destino. Um, so this is interesting because basically the, you know, the Naito White feud has been the highlight of this tour for me. It's been just a lot of fun. I don't think it's resulted in a lot of good tag matches, though, and I think a lot of that is maybe, you know, Jay White hasn't had the the most exciting partners, especially. You know, he's had mostly Chase and Yujiro and Fale, you know, just kind of the Bullet Club's general depth problem. But, you know, this wasn't, I mean, this wasn't a bad match. I went two and three quarters, but it just wasn't anything that special. Um, I mean, there was a really, early on, Naito, like, put Chase down with like a sleeper immediately immediately like he was shibata or something i just thought that was funny that you don't normally see him do that um and then there was like a you know a long period where like night and white basically they're telling the story how they're trying to you know jay is trying to out troll naito and then jay is trying to show like oh i'm tranquilo too but then he almost always ends up like losing his cool and dropping and dropping the facade and you know it just ends up being very it's a very interesting dynamic the two of them have. And, you know, at times it's a very horny dynamic, which I tweeted out and got some guy <laughs> very upset with me. But I mean, look, there, there, it was a, it was a gif of the two of them spinning in each other's <laughs> like smiling. What do you want me to tell you? Um, but yeah, there was a, there's the, after the, after Naito got the pin, he like pretended he was going to do the fist bump with Gato on the outside and instead beat the shit out of him, which I was like very into. And then like tossed his big bucket hat into the crowd. Um, I kind of wanted to add half a star just for that, but can't do that. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a fi- perfectly acceptable match, just not like a great match or anything. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree that like, this is like a, two and three quarters of a three-star match but i think it's also like the exception to the rule because i think somehow with the sort of big dick energy that both uh naito and, and white are bringing that it's like this rare feud in new japan where it doesn't matter the it doesn't matter that much the quality of these sort of like tag matches leading into it because these guys are going to do their shtick and it's going to be massively over and they're going to just like exude like all of this like you know, energy and like aura and everything. So it's like, I don't really care if it's like a two and a half star match. I just want to see them like spit at each yeah. other, you know? I mean, exactly. That, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, it's, it's a really fun feud, even though they just haven't produced any like, you know, really outstanding tag matches. Now, I'd, I'd really like to see them deliver something like awesome next weekend to really, because I think at the end of the day, if they have like a, a four and a half star match in Kobe for the Intercontinental title, you know, no one's going to care that like they their tag matches weren't that that great leading into it. Yeah, yeah. You know, people just remember this is a great feud. So I hope they do deliver. But even if they don't deliver, it's already it's been a really fun feud and I've enjoyed it. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be classics, I guess. Then we have the semifinal. Speaking of not a classic, <laughs> the Girls of Destiny defeating Yoshihashi and Tomiho Ishii in twenty one thirty five. Um. I don't know what to say about this one. First of all, why the hell did G.O.D. beat down Tomohiro Ishii to set up a hot tag to Yoshihashi? They beat down Ishii, who, like, you know, probably is one of the best House of Fire baby faces in the world. They beat the crap out of him to set up a Yoshi 
Hashi hot tag where he tags in and does these like slow motion chops as like the, the girls of destiny run by like a, a terrible hot tag. I mean, it, it didn't help either that Ishii like, you know, right before he tagged out, he basically took them both. They were complete jobbers. <laughs> like he basically just destroyed them both with like back suplexes or something like, you know, like he had no, like it took him no effort at all to do so. And then tagged in Yoshi and we're supposed to care that like he's running wild or whatever. So that didn't work at all. Um, there's like no heat for this match at all. Even after, you know, Bepu does not have a rep for having hot crowds. But the crowd was more into the undercard than I've heard them be into a lot of stuff, you know, over the years. And this, this match like killed them. Um, and then, you know, after that, we finally got like a little bit of an interesting finishing stretch. You know, it, it was fast and it finally had some action, but then it also like just felt weirdly all over the place and not in like a good way. And, you know, in a weird way, just felt like a kind of a bunch of shit happening. And then finally we get to the end where Ishii counters the super power bomb from the apron. You know, like they had Yoshiashi up on the for the super power bomb and Ishii countered it from the apron, which was kind of cool. And then immediately we go to the stupid fucking butterfly lock by Yoshi. So again, even when the match is getting like a little entertaining, you know, we immediately go to craft because that, that move is like the worst move in wrestling. Um, you know, then the there was like a gun stun counter, which where he like Yoshi like passed him off into a power bomb by Ishii. That was cool. But then we had a fucking distraction finish straight out of fucking WWE with Kenta getting on the apron, Yoshihashi being like, I've got to go yell at this man for a while, and then getting rolled up by Tamatanga and pinned. So yeah, uh, this fucking sucked. You know, by the end of it, with between the, the terrible finish, the terrible map structure, the fact that it went over 20, 21 minutes, the uh, fact that it killed the crowd, it could go on and on. But I thought this was one of the worst semifinals in recent memory. I went for a major New Japan show. I mean, I went one in three quarters. Uh, well, I would be, I guess, maybe a little more generous to that, giving it like <laughs> a two and a quarter, maybe. Uh, it could have trended towards two and a half if uh, there had been a, a decent finish, because I, I do agree that I thought it was getting a little better during uh, in the sort of the towards the closing stretch. And I don't know who like sort of, well, I know they don't like the wrestlers obviously have a lot of latitude to lay out their own matches, but clearly someone in the back has to give them like uh or, like time, like on how much you're gonna get for your matches. And it's just kind of boggles my mind sometimes how much uh time that God is given, right? Because they had like a 27 minute like uh world tag league final against um Evil and Sonata. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah. Just I think, I think it was last year. Or maybe might have been two years ago. I, actually, that wasn't even that bad of a match, but it didn't have to go 27 minutes. And there's been other God matches that have just had just mind-bogglingly long times, and this was sort of uh, another victim of that. Um, the the making uh, uh, Ishii be the whipping boy, again, makes no sense. I don't know if you listen to the latest Super J-Cast. Uh, Joel's theory, kayfabe theory, is that Ishii wouldn't trust Yoshihashi to be able to uh, do anything. So he just did it himself, <laughs> which is the like only possible, even remotely, uh, idea that makes sense. Even though that is still ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean it. It might be uh, the worst tag title match of uh, IWGP tag heavyweight tag title match this year. 
I know some people hated the one on Dominion, but I thought this was worse. Yeah, the Dominion one sucked too, but I think this was probably still worse. Um, I don't know. I can't really think of anything <laughs> anything worse. I mean, it hasn't been a great year for the, for the IWGP tag titles, but you know, you could say that for many years. So I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but, you know, just a just a bad match by a bad team for a bad set of titles. What else are you going to say? The main event, the British Heavyweight Championship, the only thing making this show even remotely worthwhile, Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi in 26-43 with a ground Cobra twist to become the new British Heavyweight Champion, ending that epic Tanahashi (laughs) British Heavyweight title reign. Um, Here's the thing with this. I... I am like the exact opposite of Joe Lanza when it comes to these matches. I could like watch them forever. I really don't. I mean, this is like a style of match I really enjoy. I really enjoy, you know, mat wrestling and grappling and submissions and all that stuff. I think both of them are really good at it. Tanahashi is like a very underrated mat wrestler, and I think everybody knows Zach is very good at it. And they have great chemistry, and I just, I really enjoy watching them wrestle. I think they come up with unique stuff in, in pretty much every single match. And, you know, here, like, you know, the the opening ten minutes wasn't my favorite, you know, of their of their matches. And if I have any complaint, that's probably it. It felt a little directionless and it like lacked intensity compared to some of the other matches. But then, like right at the ten minute mark, they had like a really good strike exchange, and then Zach finally started targeting the elbow. And you know, Tanahashi's selling was really good. Um, and at that point, I think they almost differentiated this one by making it like faster and a little bit less map based than all their previous matches. Like it just felt like they were on the act on the mat for less time than, you know, some of their last matches, especially some like Royal quest. Um, you know, then there were, there were some other cool spots. Like there was Zach at one point, he caught the a baseball slide attempt by Tanahashi and they turned it into a leg lock, like from the floor, which was just a really cool looking spot. Uh, there's a great picture of it on the new Japan site, actually. And, you know, then they were like, they got to the 20-minute mark, and, you know, they, they did finally get back to the mat, and they were trading holds again. And the crowd went, you know, this is not like they're doing mat wrestling, the crowd is bored. The crowd's going crazy for this mat wrestling when Tanashi makes the rope. Um, and then my only, like, complaint towards the end was I didn't like the weird cloverleaf uh, variant that Tanashi tried. Um, you know, he does, like, a, a high-fly float in the back, um, I don't know why he wouldn't just go for the other high fly flow after he pins Zach with that at Royal Quest. Instead, he goes for this wacky cloverleaf. And, you know, you could kind of make it make sense in your mind and be like, well, maybe he's trying to, you know, turn it into – maybe he wants to show that he can tap out Zach too. Because I don't think he, – he's never tapped out Zach because I think he beat him – unless he did a lot when he went to the Intercontinental. I don't remember that. But this year he beat him by, like, uh, flash pin – and with the high fly flow. I don't think he's ever actually tapped him out. Um, watch, I'm completely wrong. He has actually tapped him out. I don't know. But so he wanted to like prove he could submit him or something. But I don't know. They didn't really, that's again, like a, more of a headcanon thing. But the move itself looked a little awkward too. But then Zach, like he gets this, he does this counter um, into the Zach driver, which is really cool, which, but like couldn't make the cover, which made sense because he'd just taken a ton of punishment and then you know they do a this awesome exchange where they're fighting over the you know the uh the cobra the cobra twist 
you know, to, to get this submission image, this submission that's like historical Inoki submission, which totally makes sense. And then Zach turns it into the ground Cobra twist and gets the pin, which I thought was such a great finish. Came out of nowhere, you know, but at the same time didn't come out of nowhere in a bad way. Like it came out of nowhere and felt like, like almost felt like, well, of course it's how he won. You know, there's so much, you know, hype based around the, um, the submissions and stuff. And he just pulls us out of nowhere and gets the belt back that way. So I thought this was awesome. I went four stars on it. Uh, I would say maybe just below the Royal Quest match for the, you know, the, the complaints I had, but I, I still really enjoyed it and, you know, made the show at least somewhat worthwhile at the end, even though the rest of it was still pretty bad. Yeah. I think this was uh Royal Quest match was slightly better than this. I would go about four, four and a quarter, maybe. Um, the one thing, yeah, I agree with you. I could watch these two wrestle all the time. I never get bored of them. But the one thing I, I sort of mentioned this in the preview is I don't think I've ever gone more than four and a quarter, though, on any of their matches. Like, there was never any match to me that was yeah, like, I, this is a match of the year candidate that they've had. They've come close, but I just, I don't know. I might have, I might have gone four and a half on one of them. But for the most part, they always seem to be four or four and a quarter to me, too. Uh, like, whereas yeah. I went four and a half for the um, Ibushi uh, Zach match from uh, Sengoku Lord. I thought that was just amazing. I did too. And so yeah. it's sort of interesting. Like, you know, Saber seems to only be able to peak at certain levels against certain opponents. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, is there anything like coming as far as like in this specific match that like, you thought was more or less interesting than the like like the Royal Quest match is a good comparison because it was so recent. Like, is there anything that stands out as like that makes it worse than the Royal Quest one? Um, worse, like well, like what you said was just the opening ten minutes. However, what I do lo- did love about this match was the ending with the sort of uh, you know the Cobra Twist thing, right? And that's sort of like you know putting yeah, that was so you know, cool. Going, he's trying to uh, bury strong style and whatever that kind of thing. <laughs> it just felt like well to me it almost felt like well you're a hypocrite because you had to go to the strong style but he's a heel yeah so that's great to be in fiverr to be a hypocrite and it almost felt like you know like he had to do this thing where he kept he kept saying oh zach style is so much better than strong style and he has to pull out the original strong style move essentially to beat tanahashi so i thought i i almost felt like he was being very hypocritical but you know he's a heel so that's fine he can be hypocritical but yeah i, I, mar- I really marked out for the finish i love you know, people, long-time listeners will know that I love flash pins in general. So, if you do a flash pin, you probably get me to mark out. But I really, I thought it worked right here. So, uh, overall, like we said though at the start, not a good show at all. Uh, pretty, if you haven't, you know, watched it yet, I would say pretty much the main event is the only thing I would consider essential. And then maybe if you want, you can watch the Young Lions Cup matches. Uh, any other thoughts on Beppu? Uh, no, it's just hopefully one year they uh, have a nice top to bottom show because last year it was the uh, <laughs> wasn't it uh, Nato versus Suzuki, which was not that good. I liked. I, I was like the only person on Earth that liked that Nato Suzuki match. Like, oh really? Four okay. and a quarter on it. Everybody else hated it. I, I thought the. I mean, the first one I hated, like everybody else did. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The whatever the fuck one, but you know during the um, Duntaku tour. But the, the second one I actually really liked. And I guess but. I was looking. I think this is only technically the only second uh, 
destruction in Beppu, and I guess I'm going to assume now that this is probably a pretty uh, going to be an annual event now. Yeah. Well, that leads us then to destruction in Kagoshima the following night, uh, Monday, September 16th, on the Kagoshima Arena. Uh, the attendance here was a 4,004 no vacancy. Uh, that's a, a, very impressive because it's up more than 500 fans from the previous year. And that show the previous year was not destruction in Kagoshima. It was a G1 Climax show, which typically does really well, you know, compared to, you know, a lesser tour show like this. So they were up over 500. And you can't just say it's like, well, Kota Ibushi in his hometown, because that was also a Kota Ibushi main event. That was Ibushi and Goto. So here you have Ibushi, you know, defending the, the contract against Kenta. It's clear like that. You know, whether it's just New Japan's general momentum or like the idea of seeing Ibushi defend this contract against like a hot a hot new heel. Either way it worked. And you know, they did a they did their best number in Kagoshima, you know, maybe ever, definitely in a while. So uh overall this is a I thought a much better show than Beppu. Uh we'll go match by match here, but I, I enjoyed this one quite a lot. What'd you think of Kagoshima? Uh, much better match, uh, much better show. I'm sorry. Uh, kind of got, I kind of got like lost interest a bit in the middle, but I thought it, the last two matches were awesome. And I thought both the young line matches were really good. Yes. Yeah, so let's get right into that. First of all, Yuya Uemura defeating Clark Connors in 931 with a Boston Crab. Uh, Uemura is now one and four and Connors is now three and two. So this was Uemura's first win. Uh, this absolutely ruled. I went three and three quarters. Uh, my second favorite match of the Young Lions Cup so far. Just great mat work early, very physical striking, and then it just built really, really well to the upset finish. I just, I love this match. Uh, my favorite match of the tournament so far. I uh, went three and a half on it. Uh, just awesome. Yumura is going to be such a star. Uh, there was one point, I think, uh, just the way, like, when Yumura was coming back and firing up at the end and just like hitting a bunch of strikes on, uh, on Connors was awesome. You could just like, he's just really, but the one thing is like in both of this tournament I've noticed is that, uh, and we'll talk about this a bit. I'll talk about this a bit in the next match is that like, you can see like uh, how the, they're sort of like, working and trying new things as the tournament goes on and looking a little more smoother as it goes on. And that's really cool to see, especially in such a short time frame. Yeah. And I think, you know, it almost feels like to me, like if, if these two are like feuding over, you know, the, the junior title in a, in a few years, I won't, or I will not be surprised at all. Like these two and Ren Naruto, that like, that could be like the core of the junior division within like two or three years. So well, how tall is Yumura? I thought he was uh, like, is the shortest. I think he's right below. He's like a few, at least a few inches shorter than Red Naruto, I think. Oh, really? For some reason, I thought he wasn't that short. But, so Red Narita is 182 centimeters. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what that means in feet. I think it's below six. That's feet. six e- or 183 is six even. Okay, so they're actually not that short. Narita's one eighty two, and then Urimura is one eighty. So that's like five ten. One eighty. That, that's heavyweight height. Yeah, you could be a heavyweight in New Japan at that, especially if you're good. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I think they will start him as a junior. Oh, probably. He's small. He's small. 
but and then Clark Connors is a 173, so it's probably yeah, going to end up being yeah. junior. Um, after that, we had Ren Narita defeating Michael Richards in 718 with the Narita special number four, which is, of course, that belly to belly suplex. Um, that moved him to four and one and dropped Richards to one and four. Uh, unfortunately, this one, I think we might be because you made it sound like you liked both. Um, Young Lions Cup matches. I didn't like this one at all. I thought it was a very nothing match, just a long headlock, and then Narita hitting his move out of nowhere and winning. I think I think I have this as my lowest rated Young Lions Cup match. I only went two stars on it. Uh, so I had this at uh, two and three quarters, but what I was going to say about this match, positively anyway, was that I thought that uh, this was the first time that I thought like Richards was looking a little better in this one than he has in the other stuff. I'll give him that. Probably because he just had to lay there in a headlock, I think. <laughs> but you never know. Um, the third match, Yuji Nagata, Ryusuke Taguchi, Shota Umino, and Yota Suji losing to Manabu Nakanishi, Toa Hanare, Carl Fredericks, and Alex Coughlin in 9.45 with the Toa bottom. Um, first of all, I thought there was very amusing continuity in this match where um, the previous night, Nakanishi had managed to counter the hip attack from Taguchi with the double sledgehammers to the ass, basically. And this time, Taguchi was ready for it and, like, stopped short before he could get the double sledge to the butt. And then he hit uh, Nakanishi with the hip attack. So it's a better callback spot than anything in fucking uh, NXT or any of that bullshit. Um, this was a lot of fun, just like the one in Beppu. Um, you know, pretty much I think it's hard for this not to be fun. I went three and a quarter again. Yeah, I went three and a quarter too. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought Suji looked really good here. Love that drop kick he threw. Uh, when someone like sort of his size throws a drop kick, it, he's sort of got that like, oh, that like would actually hurt. Uh, whereas some people's drop kicks look very yeah. light touch type thing. Um, and uh, I yeah. thought uh, Hanari looked good here too. Uh, I don't know. Um, do you think that means anything that he's uh, starting to pick up some wins? And I, they, they always let him pin Young Lions, so I, probably not. But it's a very – I feel like Hanare will be one of these guys that everybody's going to think is going to get pushed forever. And, you know, the most push you'll ever get is like a David Finley push where he pins low card people. And, right. You know. Where the fuck is David Finley is a good question. Yeah. But anyway, I think somebody actually asked that in the mailbag. We'll get to that. Um, match number four. Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Rapungi 3K beating uh, Bullet Club, Gorilla Destiny, Bad Luck Folly, and Chase Owens. 651, Yo pinning Tamatanga with an inside cradle. This was the probably the biggest shock of the night, honestly. Um, first of all, you know, they I think this is very smart on New Japan's part because like you have Rapungi 3K who's doing nothing. I mean, they're not in the junior tag title mix right now. And you have a heavyweight tag team that's very stagnant and just, you know, doesn't have any big contenders on, on the horizon. So, like, why not match these te- two teams up, you know? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think Rapungi 3K is going to win, nor do I think they should win because it would be really, really early for them to graduate to heavyweight, especially when, you know, you'd think they would have, like, singles junior careers ahead of them before they even bother, you know, going to heavyweight. But, you know, I think it's a good, it could be a good defense for like Fighting Spirit Unleashed or, I don't know, for Power Struggle or something. 
So I think it's a cool idea and a good way to get the gorillas another defense before tag league without doing like, I don't know, another Ishii and chaos member tag team match. So I, I went three stars. This was, this was, you know, I thought it was pretty fun before the, even before the, the shock finish and, you know, good, good, good call here. I'm excited for that Rapunky 3k. I mean, excited might be a little too strong. You know, I, I think it'll be okay. Basically, it could be good. Let's say. Um, I went two and three quarters. Um, you know, for what it was, it was a pretty quick match. Uh, yeah, I think it will be good. I like the match that they had in Dallas uh, that opened uh, the G1 show. Uh, I thought that was really good. Although, yeah, it was pretty that, good. That was pretty short too. Wasn't that like only seven or eight minutes? But, yeah, uh, it did definitely go long. Although I suppose you could also argue that why bother even having booked that if this was the plan all along. But uh, whatever. Um, yeah, uh, I am looking forward to the match. <laughs> it wasn't. They probably- <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is why I think you mentioned, I didn't even think of it, but you mentioned Fighting Spirit Unleashed. This would be the perfect kind of uh, match for that. Since A, they already did in the States. And, um, you know. Uh, I almost think Americans might take yeah. a junior team versus a heavyweight team more seriously than um, uh, than Japanese people uh, because you always hear like you know I was just thinking of like you know people speculating on podcasts going into the G one like think about how many people I don't know what Japanese fans were saying but think about how many American fans were like Will Osprey's going to get ten points Will Osprey's going to pin Okada that's not how booking in New Japan yeah. has ever worked. Uh, between when it comes yeah. to uh, juniors and heavyweights, you know, can Will Ospreay pin Okada one day? Yes, he will, but that will be once he's moved up for heavyweight for some time. But the idea that he was going to get go like finish the ten or twelve points was always like, I feel like sort of like, you know, North American fans sort of totally not getting how New Japan books juniors versus heavyweights. He had eight points, but I guess that's not. That's I, not I predicted him to have six, just like <laughs> given given New Japan's history of putting six was like, I think most juniors that had ever been in before had only gotten like four. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't really blame people for having that because at least he had been never champion already and like beaten heavyweights, so it kind of sort of made sense. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I I, I thought he would always have to have his biggest one be the. The win over Tanahashi, which you know, and did end up happening. Um, after that, we had match number five. So Tanahashi, Makabe, Honma, and Jushin Liger defeating Zack Saber Jr., Minoru Suzuki, Kanemaru, and Doki. Uh, Nine twenty-two by disqualification, because this is where we got the big angle where Suzuki unmasked Jushin Liger. Uh, it was a wild, wild scene after he ripped that mask off and. You know, Liger ended up covered in towels and on the microphone screaming at Suzuki. So I this is where I thought, like, they can't be saving this for the Dome because it almost feels like too much if they're saving it all the way to the Dome. But maybe they are. Who the fuck knows? Um, but I just got to read, like, okay, this is going to happen, like King of Pro Wrestling or, you know, Power Struggle or something. Like, There's no way they can go all the way to the Dome with this when they're pulling off the mask and you know, trying to kill each other in, in mid-September. But, you know, I guess stranger things have happened. Um, I thought this was pretty fun when it lasted. You know, better than the Beppu match, like pretty much everything else in the show. Uh, and then the angle at the end was, like, really great. The, the crowd seemed, like, legit shocked and appalled 
Like they weren't even really booing. They were just like, how dare they basically. So I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, I went three stars. Good match with a great angle. Uh, three and a quarter stars for me. Uh, I think we have a bit of an opposite view because in the preview I wrote like, you know, I, I enjoy this feud. I enjoy watching them brawl, but I don't really see how they can tease this out to Wrestle Kingdom. But they just like the whole angle after the match was one of the best angles of the year. Um, I thought um, they just kicked it up a notch. And if they wanted to drag this out to Wrestle Kingdom now, I think they could do it, which is not something I thought before the show. Mm. Well, maybe they will. Who knows? I just kind of felt like, I don't know, I guess there are two nights. It just doesn't it feel like a weird retirement match for Liker? Uh, I think it, it is sort of weird. I figured like he would have some like multi-man tag. They might bring back some old guys or something. Um, yeah, because yeah. he's not winning. And even if they have that, like not, not only is he not winning, but Suzuki's going to beat the shit out of him. So I don't know if that's necessarily the sort of image you want in Liger's yeah. last match, right? But if, yeah, if, if, if they did this on January 4th in like a farewell tag match on the 5th, I don't know, but... It just yeah. seems like they're, but like the way that they've escalated almost feels like, well, if they're not going to do it in the dome and, and I don't think it's going to be a king of pro wrestling, then when are they going to do it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could be right. I mean, it could be, if, I mean, you could, it could be power struggle, I guess, but you know, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I, I mean, if you put this for power struggle, you could literally probably sell out Eddie on arena one just to offer this match. Yeah, probably. And you didn't need anything else, right? Because last year's power struggle, wasn't it just Jericho Evil one match show? Yeah, Naito Zach, semi main. Yeah. So yeah, if they wanted to make this the main event of or the semi main event of power struggle, you could get away with not booking anything else. Yeah. Uh match number six, Okada, Goto, and Rocky Romero defeating Sonata, Shingo and Bushi, the fifth and final meeting between these two trios on this tour. Uh, Okada pinned Bushi in 10.08 with the Rainmaker. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout-out to Mr. Juicy, uh, Mr. Juicy, Gino Gambino before the show, or before the match, because they had a really funny exchange with him and Rocky Romero that, that just made me laugh, because, like, I don't remember what the fuck Rocky said to him. Rocky just said, like, you know, I think he was, like, talking shit because Rapunky 3K pinned the Girls of Destiny. And, you know, he goes, goes on this big, long rant about how much Gino and the Bullet Club sucks. And then afterwards, he just says, you can't talk to me like that. <laughs> like, he just sounds so, like, upset and outraged. And Kevin Kelly is like, well, he just did, buddy. <laughs> so, but I think, like, Gino, he's a really, he's really coming to his own as a heel commentator. And, you know, he, what he gets that, I guess, you know, fucking Corey Graves and other people in modern wrestling don't get is that a heel commentator to be entertaining and for you not to absolutely like want to rip your fucking ears out listening to them, they have to be a clown to at least some extent, you know, like you have to want to laugh at them sometimes even more than you laugh with them, you know, like, like fucking Bobby the Brain Heaton, he was a clown, you know, Jerry the King Lawler was a clown. I mean, these people were fucking clowns and like, you know, they have that lovable clown aspect to them, but they were clowns. So, you know, Corey Graves is not a clown. Corey Graves is just like, you know, I don't know, shouting buzzwords in your ear and like, you know, basically he's just angry the entire night. I mean, I haven't watched WWE in a while, so maybe he's great now. It's the same. Corey Graves is the same. 
I'm glad for Gerard. I've, I've watched in the last six weeks. I'll say that, right? So Gerard had a report, but yeah, I mean, like he's, it's just like he's just so angry the entire show, and like you know, get Gino, he's you know he's funny sometimes. He gets shown up sometimes. You know, even Kevin Kelly makes fun of him sometimes, and he also just like fucking pulls back and you know calls the matches a little bit. Like he doesn't have to be like you know you know super on the entire night. So. Shout out to Gino if by any random chance he happens to listen to this, you're a you've turned to a very good commentator, Mr. Juicy. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned like the clown stuff and compared him to Heenan because I also see a little bit of Jesse Ventura in him. Yeah. Um, like in terms of like he calls the action and then he's like takes a side into the heels, but sometimes he offers like, you know, uh more like unbiased analysis and and when it calls for it in that. So that sort of reminds me of uh, Ventura. Yeah, and Ventura could be a little bit of a clown too, so yeah. it works. I mean, it's just like I don't know, like the whenever I watch the WWE show, it's just like, why is Corey Graves so angry? Well, because <laughs> he, well, that, and he's also desperate to like also like make dunks on his other like uh, yeah. It's like you'll be you'll be like watching the match, and all of a sudden Corey Graves are coming like Michael Cole, you fucking idiot! And it's like okay, yeah, yeah. Obviously, doesn't say the f word, but the general just <laughs> it, it just feels like he gets so fucking like worked up and it's like can you please stop screaming at me i'm just trying to watch <laughs> monday night raw uh match number six uh, well i just i guess i already entered it but yeah this is a good match um one big issue you know here again was like the okada sonata pairing just really had no juice uh again here and you know that's not good for a king of pro wrestling main event and again this is coming from somebody who's who usually really likes sonata and has liked two out of the three matches, although, you know, the one I didn't like was uh, the other title match, so maybe that's not a good omen. But yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like there's anything, like, there as far as, like, excitement. Maybe, you know, they, they have more time than most of these other feuds, so maybe, you know, King of Pro Wrestling, uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed, and, uh, you know, even the those New Japan Road shows, they'll get more time to, like, really develop something. And there is a development in the main event where, you know... Going forward, you're going to have this element of like Okada and Ibushi against Evil and Sonata, where that could finally bring some juice and in, juice into it. Because right now it just feels like, you know, there's not much there. But where there is a lot of juice is Goto and Shingo, and they were awesome here, and they really like tore it up with these, you know, these they're an awesome lariat exchange here. They just beat the crap out of each other. So I ended up going three and a quarter, kind of in between. You know, Okada Sonata wasn't really anything, but Goto Shingo was really good. Uh, I went three here. Um, yeah, it was what it was. I did really like the Shingo and uh, Goto exchanges. I think as for uh, Okada and Sonata, um, like I know that they're obviously going to face themselves, each other in a bunch of multi-mans on this tour, but you don't have to have exact the exact same six-man tag like five times on a tour. Like mix it up a bit more than that. I think the problem was like Naito and Evil always were teaming. I don't know. I mean, I guess I could have mixed Evil in, and the only people that could have mixed was Evil and Bushi, basically. So I guess that was the difficulty. We only have a five man unit, but even some like uh, Chaos versus Lij ten mans, you know, would be great. Like because those are always well, you couldn't do, well, you couldn't do it because Naito and Jay White had to be oh right Naito and Jay White yeah, had to yeah. be paired up. Yeah. Right. So that was like I guess the difficulty. 
Uh, and then we have, speaking of Naito and Jay White, Naito and Evil defeating Jay White and Yujiro in 1150, Evil pinning uh, the Tokyo Pimp with the Evil. Um, you know, this was like another one where like the match itself was kind of just like there, and I went two three quarters. But the angle stuff was good. Um, you know, it starts out with Naito and Evil. Like they're ready. I, I basically joke that they're ready for the Bullet Club sneak attack because – they too are jerks. So it's like they were like very ready for to get jumped by their opponents. Um, you know, the the big thing at the end was Jay White doing uh, again, I have to give my girlfriend Nicole a shout out for saying this. She whenever she says she she sees Jay White do this, she's like Jay White's basically being like, I'm baby. Because he like collapses to the mat and like refuses to move and refuses to get up. So he's basically doing like I'm baby, pick baby up. <laughs> so I don't know. It's uh, it, that's basically he did the same thing against Okada uh, in MSG, and he's done it a few other times. But that was his big counter for the desk. You know, he just like collapsed to the mat and refused to move. And then that was in the the post match. He low blowed Naito and laid him out. So I, as the last angle, that makes me that kind of makes me feel like. Naito is winning in Kobe. It just feels like, you know, maybe it's, maybe I'm like again being too WWE about it, but it feels like well, Jay White did the, the baby counter basically, and now Naito will find a way to get around the baby counter in Kobe and retain the title. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, like not a not a bad match at all, and again continued the Naito Jay White feud, which has been enjoyable. Uh, I went a little higher with. Than you, I went three and a quarter. I don't know. I just like Ujiro in these these sort of situations because you don't get to see it uh, very often. Um, and yeah, uh, as for like, is White winning? I mean, I don't think they would book this match if White wasn't winning because, especially given how protected White is, like having him lose an IC title match to to Naito, then what happens to him? What does he do for the net? Like, what does he do? He sits around and probably does nothing until Wrestle Kingdom, and he'd have to find a new feud for that. So, yeah, it just seems to me I'm pre- I'm still pretty confident that White's winning uh, next week. Yeah, uh, I mean we'll see. I guess. I mean, look the other the other theory I've seen, and we've we totally fucking forgot to mention this. I mean, really, my fault. It's my show. So at the end of Destruction and Beppu. Uh, after Zack Sabre Jr. retained the British heavyweight title, he suddenly, like, tried to get into the the mix, the double title mix, where he's saying, you know, well, you know, all these people are talking about double title. I want to be a triple crown champion. I think he said the first ever triple crown champion. And it's like, bro, there's a whole promotion. Want to have a triple crown title. But anyway, and he said he wants to be the first ever triple crown champion, British heavyweight and IWCP heavyweight and Intercontinental. And he promised to throw the Intercontinental title in the bin which makes you think the IC is the one he's going to target at first. So, I mean, that's another one who, I mean, that could be, um, he could be the guy, you know, for the Dome. I mean, it could be Nato and Zack Sabre Jr. for the Intercontinental on the first night, and then maybe the second night, you know, is the winner of that. But, I mean, it could be him. It could be Moxley, who has a pin over Nato. I mean, I think there are other options. As far as what Jay White would do then, um, maybe Jay White goes back and, you know, circles back to the United States title because, you know, you know, that might not sound super exciting to Jay White fans right away, 
But if he, you know, if Juice Robinson wins the U.S. title back from Moxley, he'll need an opponent for the Dome because they're doing, you know, Juice Moxley so early now. Maybe, you know, this way Jay White walks out of Wrestle Kingdom as the number two champion in the company because if you're going to have a double heavyweight and intercontinental champion, the U.S. title will be the next belt down, you know. So I don't know. It's just, just an idea. I mean, it could be, it could be a thing where, like, you know, I'm just reading too much into it, and Jay White gets either wins next week or it just gets into the the dome against Naito again anyway. But I just have, I have a weird feeling Naito's running. Who knows? Because um, yeah. I I think like yeah. I, I know maybe Zach could have just been trying to push the sort of idea along because I don't know I don't really like get, trying to make it more convoluted. Like I think just having White Naito, Ibushi Okada. Like those four doing having title match on night one, and then the winners meet night two. I wouldn't go more complex than that, but I don't know. I mean, it could it could also be a thing like where you know White is going to face somebody at Power Struggle to for the right to go to the Wrestle Kingdom or something, or even challenge for the Intercontinental. Well, I don't know. well, see, I could see Zach and Naito having that sort of number one contenders for the IC title thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he just said it just to say it. I think they'll, they're going to do something. We'll yeah. say. Uh, then we have the IWGP Junior Tag Team Titles. Um, Al Fantasvo and Taiji Shimori defeating the Birds of Prey. Uh, Fantasvo pinning Eagles in 23-10 with the CR2. A little surprising because you and I were on the, the Destruction in uh, Kagoshima preview together. I think we both picked a title change here. Yep, I did. So were you surprised to see... Uh, Fantasma and Taiji get the pin here. Yeah, especially since I kind of suspect that ELP is beating Will at King of Pro Wrestling. But maybe I'll have to uh, revise that prediction after this. Yeah, well, I mean, I did. I, I think I said that in my preview. I was like, if if they fail to win the titles here, I would think maybe ELP is not winning the junior title. Well, because I I know you talked about the whole idea, like Hiromu comes back as conquering hero to to beat. Uh, El Fantasmo, but like, think about the money match that is Osprey versus Hiromu. That's true. So that yeah, I mean that, that could be. I just kind of, I guess I had it in my head that Osprey will definitely be a heavyweight by the dome. Yeah, that I, I mean I thought that bigger. too, right? So, yeah. but that could almost be like a big enough match to keep him junior through the dome yeah, for sure. And then maybe he loses. It's the only maybe one. If they're not do like if they're gonna do like I don't know. Osprey versus any other junior at the dome? Nah, no, I'd rather him just go heavyweight. But Hiromu, yes, absolutely. As far as this match itself, um, I didn't dislike it, but I think probably most other people would have it higher than me. Um, I only went three and a half stars, and it looks like I got grapple. The average is about 4.21. So I guess it doesn't surprise me. A lot of people seem to enjoy these types of matches more than I did. The the big problem I thought was like, um, you know, first of all, early on, it, I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it super, you know, super well early on. There was like one like Osprey ELP reversal sequence that went like probably went 30 seconds, but just felt like it was going 30 years with like the two of them reversing each other's moves and not doing anything. Just felt really stupid. Um, and then they, they hit like a run where I thought they, you know, it's like the, the wrestling equivalent of your eyes being bigger than your stomach. Like, Everything looked way cooler in their head than it did, 
you know, in actuality, I thought like there was one spot where, you know, Eagles was supposed to do a springboard run on Ishimori while he's up on ELP's shoulders and they fucked it up, but managed to make it not be a complete disaster, but it just looked really awkward. Um, there's another one where they were, you know, ELP was supposed to do a double sunset flip powerball at the top rope and they were both supposed to like land on their feet but Eagles clearly did not land on his feet at all. Like basically, you know, drop to one knee and had to get back up and just look kind of stupid. Um, it seemed like, you know, I think there was at least one other spot like that where it's like, you know, it, it was like a, they were trying for this like big impressive spot fest, especially early on. And it just felt like not everything was clicking to make it like an, you know, an all time great match or anything like that, or even like a really, really good match. Um, you know, there was some cool stuff towards the end, like the, the Ron Miller special, getting broken up by ELP, hitting the Death Valley driver, like, on Osprey into Eagles. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, there was, like, a big moonsault over the guardrail by ELP. That was pretty awesome. And then he and Eagles had, like, a pretty good exchange back in the ring after that. So I did think it got better once they finally stopped, like, half-botching overcomplicated team spots. But, like, it just didn't hit, like, this a, a truly great match level for me. So, you know, um, I liked that the ending felt very definitive, too, because that really made ELP feel like a big threat for the juniors title. But, you know, it just like they, they basically just beat the crap out of Eagles. They gave him a couple, like, double-team uh, bloody crosses, and then ELP hit the CR2 and just pinned him. So, you know, very definitive. I think there was, like, a belt shot before that, but still pretty definitive. Uh, but, yeah, I only went three and a half on it. I didn't, I didn't love it, you know, but the end was good enough to me to keep it from being, like, a complete disaster or anything like that. Uh, I love a good spot fest. I went four and a quarter. Um, also, I'm currently slowly making my way through the Super J Cup. And so I think one reason that I actually really did like this match is because I compare uh, El Fantasmo here to uh, his the way he was in the, what I've seen of him so far in the J Cup. And they did a much better job of uh, keeping his goofiness in check. I know that like... Yeah, he was still going for all sorts of crazy spots, somewhat botchy, but like just in terms of doing crappy heel work that I think he does a lot of the time, that wasn't as, um, you know, uh, such a big issue for me in this match. So I will give them points for keeping ELP in line. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have no problem uh, with a spot fest like this, and I really liked it. Uh, then the main event for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, right to challenge contract, Kota Ibushi defeating Kenta in 26-23 with the Kami, uh, Kamigoe to retain the contract. Opinions on this one have been really all over the place, but I think I am the high person on it as far as what I've seen so far. Um, you know, I've seen some people say this was pretty bad. You know, I know uh, what's his name over at the uh, F411. Uh, Larry Sanka, he gave it a very low rating. And the the ratings, if I'm looking on Grapple, are really all over the place. I absolutely love this match. I thought this was, like, a fucking awesome match. And this is, like, like some other matches. I, I almost didn't even know. Um, it reminded me a lot of Naito Taichi, I guess, from New Beginning, which was another match that people really, some people really hated, where, like, but when it was over, it, it didn't really even enter my mind that it would be controversial to say the match was awesome. So... I was pretty stunned by the reaction. When I think about it more, I can understand because, you know, it was a slower match than people might be used to for a New Japan main event. So, you know, some people really are adverse to slow matches, apparently, as I'm learning this year. But I thought this was really good. Um, 
you know, first of all, Ibushi comes in the ring, Kenta blasts him with that big boot. Like, as soon as he makes it into the ring, he nails him with the briefcase, and then he takes the briefcase and fucking stomps on it, which is like, he looks like the biggest badass heel in the world. That was a great way to start it. Uh, they do, like, again, you know, calling back, you know, almost like a comparison to Naito Taichi. Um, they do that long, like, check on the guy angle, which I know really, really annoyed people at Naito Taichi. I don't know if it annoyed people as much here, but, you know, it was much shorter here, so maybe not. But, like, from an, a storyline standpoint, it makes no fucking sense for Red Shoes to go, oh, you attacked this man illegally before <laughs> before the bell could ring and you beat him with an, a foreign object. And, yes, ring the bell. Okay, start the match. It's like, no, that makes no sense. I mean, of course they would check the guy and not start the match if they don't feel he can compete. You know, it's Ibushi and, and Naito in that match being, like, dumb baby faces and, like, you know, pride having to, like, privately having to go through the match but of course they should check the guy and like you know do a, an angle where like you know it's not clear if they're gonna actually wrestle you know like it makes no sense to you know just start a fucking match which you know that's not even a, a, i can't even call that a wwe trope because you've seen that you know everywhere in wrestling it just it doesn't make any sense to reward reward the heel for <laughs> his illegal pre-match attack it doesn't you know make any sense um but yeah, when the, the match actually started, I just thought Kenta as a heel, like really came to his own here. You know, he's sitting on the top rope. He's mock clapping for Ibushi while Ibushi's being counted out, which was great. And then when Ibushi gets back in the ring, he like immediately tosses him back out and just beats the shit out of him some more. Um, you know, I just remember thinking, I saw some Hideo Otami heel matches. I don't remember him ever being this comfortable with his heel mannerisms. I remember him looking okay sometimes, even having some really good matches. But this is the most comfortable I've ever seen him as a heel. Um, you know, at one point, you know, Kenta works on Ibushi's leg for a while. Um, Ibushi makes a little bit of a comeback. He does the Shibata corner drop kick, but Kenta just fucking shrugs it off because Ibushi's leg is so fucked up, he can't get any real power behind it. And the drop kick, you know, wasn't was like a weak drop kick. So I thought that was like a great psychology spot. And then Kenta immediately wipes him out with his own Shibata drop kick. Um, he does like a, a JY-esque drop down to try to avoid the Obama-Ye, but that also ends up distracting the rest of G.O.D. could run in. Uh, Kota takes them both out really quick with a double flip kick. Um, they came back and they, they get the magic killer on Kota. They went for the superpower bomb, but then Yoshi and Ishii ran out to take them out. So, you know, to me, the interference here could have been a lot worse, if anything. Uh, I still took off a little bit for it, but you'll see when I get to the ring. I just loved it that much. Um, then there was, like, another, you know, a really sick strike exchange, including that, that great counter slap by Kenta. You know, the, the striking throughout this entire match is awesome, just like the Dallas one. Um, he tries to beat Ibushi with his own fucking move, which, again, such a great heel move. But then, you know, Kota, like, kicks out of that. He catches his knee on the uh, on the go-to-sleep. He hits, like, this awesome, like, pump-up knee strike and then hits the Kamigoe. Kenta kicks out, and he has to hit another Kamigoe to get the pin. I went four and a half stars on this. I know to some people that might sound crazy. I fucking love this match. I might have even gone higher without the G.O.D. run-in. So I just, I thought this was fucking awesome. I thought Kenta was just, like, came into his own as a heel here. He looked great. You know, Kota Ibushi is, you know, he's Kota Ibushi. He's having an incredible year anyway, but, like, you know, has yet another awesome match here. His selling was awesome. You know, he really made you, like, feel for this match. The crowd was going nuts. I mean, this is what I fucking love about professional wrestling. 
four and a half stars. Uh, Gerard, either you agree or disagree, I guess. Go ahead. Uh, my take, uh, John, fuck the haters. This was a four and a half star match. <laughs> yes. uh, I also flirted with going four and three quarters, uh, but I, I couldn't in good conscience after I thought about it for a little longer. It was like my gut and some of the, the interference. The interference, it was the run-in, although the yeah. run-in wasn't even that bad by how bad Bullet Club run-ins could be. Um, I have a very, very short attention span. I do not like slow matches. This, but but if you're going to be – but there's a difference to me, like um, – and I think of this – we might talk about this later with Suwama. There's slow, and then there's methodical, and it can keep my attention if it's being done well. And, like, the match – their match in Dallas, like – Kenta beating the crap out of um, Abushi and working, especially limb work, that can keep my attention for like a match that is almost half an hour. So I thought this was amazing. Uh, What'd you give it out for, by the way? Four and a quarter. That's exactly what I gave it to. Okay. So we, bo- we both like both these matches, which are both very controversial. So I, I, I mean, I, I almost can see, I mean, I think I could see why Dallas would be even more controversial. Uh, this one was like, yeah. no, like I was shocked. Like when I heard people were saying that this was being contentious, like I was like, no, this was far and away, like, you know, um, a better match. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. I really don't. I can see it sometimes why, like, you know, I like a match more than others or why I even don't like a match more than others. But this one has me scratching my head. Cause I thought this was awesome. Yeah, I mean this. I mean this is again. This is like I, I just mentioned it before. This is like the second time this year where I I saw I watched a match. You know, I felt a certain way at the end, and then I checked online and like, you know, I'm glad I didn't read reactions before I came up to my own opinion because like the same thing with Naito and Taichi in February. I'm just like, to me, at the end of the match, like there was no question. This was like at least a four and a half star match. Like I was flirting with higher. So like to find out people hated it. I'm just like, a lot of people hated it. I was very, very surprised. Like people going like four flat or four and a quarter, you know, that I totally understand. Cause you know, it's a little slower, you know, it might not, you know, I expected I would be like the high one on this one. Like if you had told me you gave it four flat, you know, it wouldn't have stunned me at all. But like finding out like people, I think Larry Sanka gave it like one star or something. I'm just like, how did people hate this match so much? It was like so clearly good. So I don't know. It was very, it was like one of those reminders, I guess, that people watch different watch wrestling for different things. You know, Larry specifically is one of these types that really loves those, you know, like takeover main events that I just couldn't right, give less yeah. of shit about. So, you know, maybe just like that. It, it's just people who like different things in wrestling. Um, but overall, great fucking match. Uh, I would kind of it's a great show is too far, but it's a good show and certainly a lot better than Bebu. Um, I think you should, anyone should go out there that hasn't seen it and at least watch the uh, top two matches and uh, find someone to argue with uh, over them. Yeah, exactly. Go, go online and do some arguing. Uh, before we wrap up New Japan, let's quickly talk Destruction in Kobe. Uh, that is, you know, about five days from now, Sunday, uh, January, or Sunday, January, Sunday, September 22nd. Uh, the main event for the IWGP Intercontinental title, Tetsuya Naito against Jay White. Um, we kind of talked a little bit about this already, but I, I think I'm now leaning towards Naito winning. But it's one of these matches where neither result would be shocking. Like, I'm not, 
I'm not going in thinking, you know, Naito's definitely winning or White is definitely winning. So, you know, any match like that, I'm always going to really be up for where I don't know. I don't feel like I know the winner when the bell rings. So there's always going to be, you know, as long as I can stand spoiled, especially, um, you know, that, that always adds an element to it where I'm like, okay, I really don't have any idea for sure who's going to win this. So, you know, neither result would surprise me. So I'm excited for this. I, I only went three and three quarters on their G1 match. I think they can top it. We'll say, what do you think about NATO and Jay White? Um, my gut still says Jay, although uh, obviously I have a little more doubt than I did a week ago. Um, but I just think uh, beating uh, NATO down and you know making him go as low as possible and then having him rise back up is the most compelling uh, story to do. Uh, Shingo and Goto is a semifinal. This should be a really good semifinal. I mean, they they killed it back at the G1 on the B Block final day, and you know, I'm sure they'll get time here. And their exchanges will look great. So you know, I'm really excited for this one as well. Um, I you know again, I could see this one going either way, but I, I my gut says they give Goto his win back, and you know they even though Shingo is very over and very exciting as a heavyweight, it feels like they're going to pump the brakes on him a little bit here to not you know to not get him like too far ahead of himself and you know maybe cool him down before they build him back up for like a big match of the dome whereas like goto i could see winning this and like transitioning over to like you know a never title shot or like a u.s title shot after king of pro wrestling so yeah i'm goto um i think uh what's going to happen is he is if shibata's not wrestling on january 4th or 5th then he's facing kenta in the dome but if shibata is gonna wrestle then i think goto is facing kenta for the never title sometime before january yeah maybe power struggle probably uh and then the 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 two matches right below that they they like uh you know they messed with the the lineup a little bit since now we have the punky 3k against girls of destiny feud and evil uh we did we again failed to mention the post match oops uh evil came out to challenge abushi and that was really funny where like if you watch the promos evil was like he kept saying you know oh i have a cryptic challenge i'm gonna do something i want the title more than anybody it's like buddy we remember that you're the only other guy that beat Coda in the G1. We, we know you're going to challenge Coda. It's fine. You don't have to be like, but he's spooky, man. So we have to be cryptic about it. It's just kind of funny. But yeah, he came out at the end of the Kagoshima show and challenged Coda. So now you have a cool little dynamic where like Okada and Ibushi are teaming up here, even though they're currently scheduled to face, face each other in the main event of January 4th. So it'll be Okada, Ibushi, and Roddy Eagles against Sonata, Evil, and Bushi. Uh, so that you know mixes things up here a little bit, and you know maybe the the addition of Ibushi and Evil to the dynamic maybe will even give Okada and Sonata some much needed like interest. Um, you know, I thought I thought for all along that maybe they'll announce when they announce the Fighting Spirit on these cards, maybe we'll get the straight up two versus two main event for either New York City or or uh, the the Boston show, since we can't have a Okada's not going to be affiliated. So Did affiliate. we get a reason for that yet? No, I haven't heard a reason. But so it's going to be so Okada. Strange. It is very strange. Okada and Ibushi against Sonata and Evil. I think that will happen at either uh, Boston or New York. So we'll see. But in the meantime, there are six man tag here. Uh, and the other match they changed up was Ishii, Yoshihashi, uh, Will Ospreay, and Punky 3K against Kenta, G.O.D., uh, Taiji, and Phantasmo. 
Um, maybe Ishii gets into it with Kenta here too, because you could do a never title match since he got screwed out of the never title Royal Quest. So maybe you could do that for Fighting Spirit Unleashed as well. Well, I think everyone uh, wants to see that match again uh, without a concussion or uh, getting, yeah. you know, basically, right? What that could have been, right? Yeah. So maybe that'll be, they'll get into it here and they'll book that for, you know, the US tour. Uh, the only other thing of note on the show is the the end of the Young Lions Cup, uh, Ren Narita and Clark Connors, and the match I think everybody assumes it'll come down to, because we still got to see what happens in the the last three nights here, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of Road Twos. But Shota Umino and Carl Fredericks. Uh, do you have any prediction on the Young Lions Cup? I, I feel like it's going to be Shota. I just feel like they're going to give him the win and send him off on excursion. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I could see it being Carl still. We'll see. Uh, I think it's Shota. Um, yeah, I mean, it could be Carl, but I, I'd say I'm 70, 30 confident that it's going to be Shota Umino. And then, yeah, they'll probably send him off on an excursion. But I think the one crazy thing about Shota going off into his excursion is if, he, if they send him to the States, he's, he'll be an immediate draw on all the, whatever, wherever he works, which is not the case with other young lions. Right. But everyone's going to want to see Shooter. Yeah. So and he got he definitely got over doing that gimmick. So uh, you know he would be he'd probably be like Ring of Honor's most over wrestler at this point. Oh, if he for sure there. he would be right because he's, <laughs> he, he's 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 sort of coasting off of his association with a wrestler in another company. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there we go. That's Destruction and Kobe. The end of the Destruction tour. Uh, if that delivers and you get two out of three good shows, you have to call it a success because this tour has a very low bar. All right, let's move over to some All Japan for Wrestling now. Uh, we're going to talk about the seventh Odo tournament, the single elimination tournament uh, that happens every year in All Japan. So the first round took place over this past over the past three nights. Uh, so let's talk about it. There's two matches each on the first two shows, and then four matches on Korokin. Uh, it began in the Sanjo City Sakai Gymnasium uh, on September 14th. Um, I'm going to let you start each one, especially since you're our All Japan expert here. So September 14th, the first first round match, Naoya Nomura defeating Sam Adonis in 1541. Uh, what do you think of this one? Uh, I, we had a brief words about this in the Voices of Wrestling Slack. Uh, you were not a fan. Uh, I gave this the uh, Gentleman's Three. I thought it started off fine. I thought it finished fine. Lost me in the middle. Uh, I was actually had, uh, strangely enough, higher expectations for this match because I thought the, the match between these two in the Champion Carnival was uh, the best Sam Adonis match in the Champion Carnival. And I thought, like, I'm not going to say Sam Adonis is a super worker or anything, but he's a perfectly acceptable wrestler and that, that could have a decent, like, three, three-and-a-half-star match in the ring with the right opponent. Um, but this just didn't quite hit it. I didn't think it was that bad but uh, below my expectations in the end. Yeah, I thought it just started very pedestrian to me, like with the mat wrestling, just not not interesting mat wrestling. Uh, I just thought it was very slow and boring. Um, I thought at one point, No More hit like a very unexplosive spear, uh, and that was like right around the 15-minute mark. I just kind of wanted it to be over. And then No More finally won with a Death Valley driver after Adonis kicked out of a top rope splash. I only went two stars on it. I just didn't care for it. Uh, after that, we had Suwama. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, so that, uh, so Nomura is now doing this spot where he does the spear and then follows it immediately with like sort of like a jackknife hold. And he, when he's doing the spears in that move, like they don't look very convincing. Whereas before yeah. he was like doing these like full blown spears that looked awesome. But like the whole like spear into the jackknife combo, I wish he'd drop it because it doesn't look very like powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, we have the main event with Jake Lee beating Suwama in 22-42 with the backdrop suplex. What do you got on this one for us, Gerard? Uh, I went three and uh, three quarters. Um, I thought this was pretty good. It held my attention, like I was saying before, like good methodical work, even if it's not super fast, holds my attention. Suwama, when he's working someone over, can hold my attention. Uh, I thought about going higher but i just didn't like the format of this match it was suwama beating jake lee and he did a good job of it for like i know 18 i think this match went like 22 minutes like maybe like 17 18 of the first minute couple of minutes the last couple of minutes were great couple of exchanges between uh lee and suwama but like it was literally a one-sided match it was a important match because this is jake lee's first singles victory over suwama but it just felt like jake lee who you're trying to position as someone moving up the the card someone who went toe-to-toe with miyahara in the champion carnival finals in a back and forth match basically almost pulled out not quite like didn't seem like a total fluke but this match was way too one-sided for what they should be trying to do with jake lee yeah, I, I thought this was I, I had the exact same rating as you did. I went three and three quarters. Um, you know, the I just thought it was very slow early, which you know was a big probably my big complaint. Um, you know, at, at the point where Suwama was like trying to choke him out when he was draped over the ropes, I just thought it was still dull. Uh, it was a lot like you said, a lot of Suwama offense, but when by the time Suwama like started dropping on his head with the German suplexes, I thought it really picked up. Um, there was a great spot where, like, Suwama, you know, countered a pin right after running PK, like, into a cradle, which not really a sequence you ever expect to write for Suwama. So that was a really cool spot. And then there was, like, you know, like, some very stiff lariats at the end. And then finally, when Jake put him away with the backdrop, I, I thought it was, like, just a little too boring early for a lot of it to go four stars, but I really enjoyed it. So um, definitely a worthwhile match there. Uh, then we go to September 15th at the Dream Messe Miyagi West Building Hall in Sendai in front of 302 fans. Uh, the first of the two tournament matches was Zeus beating Dylan James in 1459 with a jackhammer. Go ahead with this one, Gerard. Well, I think this might be uh, the most contentious match we discuss on this show, uh, given what I know that you gave this. I went four stars on this. I really liked it. I didn't think it was as good as their match in the champion carnival, but I still thought this was a great match of two like big got big muscle bound guys chopping each other. Zeus pulled out like some aerial moves. Um, I would have gone higher if this had lasted longer. I thought it was uh, pretty awesome while it lasted, but it was just sort of like Lariat jackhammer in like just under 15 minutes. Uh, I thought it was great while it lasted, but you know, uh, but I still want it's like to me, it was like a four star match. Uh, but you know, I don't know, I'm just sort of curious to your take because I know it wasn't uh quite as in high as mine. Yeah, I only went two and three quarters, I thought it was very disappointing. And you know, maybe it was like the my elevated um 
you know, like expectations for it because as you mentioned, like they had an amazing match in the champion carnival. Maybe my all Japan, if it's not my all Japan match of the year, it's really close. I mean, they had a really, really awesome match. Um, you know, I just thought it was really boring for a long time. I mean, nothing like the champion carnival match at all. By the time they finally started chopping each other hard and, you know, really got good, it was already like the 10 minute mark. And, you know, this only went 15 minutes. So, you know, just a match where it didn't hold my attention at all for the first 10 minutes. You know, it, a match not holding your attention for the first 10 minutes is one thing if the match is going like, you know, 28 minutes, but <laughs> this went 15. So, you know, I didn't think the, the last five minutes were, were pretty good, but like not nearly good enough to make up for those first 10. Um, you know, Zeus wins the jackhammer. I just can't go higher than like, you know, maybe even, maybe two and three quarters is too hard on it, but I just, it's the expectations going in were so high and they, they, they were not met at all. So, um, but I know we're going to disagree on the next match oh, too. Yeah, that's right. This whole show is a big disagreement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shuji Ishikawa beating Ryuji Sai in twenty two sixteen with the Giant Slam. Go ahead. Well, they redeemed themselves uh, after having the worst match of the Champion Carnival at, with a thirty minute draw. Uh, I went three and a quarter here. I thought it was okay. I thought it started out fine. I thought the last couple of minutes were actually pretty decent. Uh, from Ishikawa, I, it just didn't hold my attention. It went 22 minutes. The middle part just didn't hold my attention at all. I would say most of it, it if you sort of added it all up. Yeah, I just didn't uh, wasn't uh, just didn't keep my attention really. So yeah, I thought this was awesome. <laughs> so this is where we're very we did really disagree on the show. Uh, um, I really thought like again maybe it was the reversal of the last match where. My expectations were very low because, like you said, you know, the 30-minute draw of the champion card. But I, don't, I don't think I actually watched that. I think everybody told me it was really bad, so I skipped it. But, like, you know. I, Except I, for that I, one guy who wrote the review at the Observer who's out of his mind. <laughs> oh, he liked it, right? Yeah. It um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I thought this was, like, first of all, it had a way faster-paced start than you would expect. Um, you know, I just wrote down there was nothing fancy about it, but, like, it felt like a, a clash of wills almost like with the two of them really just beating each other up. And, you know, that type of match I'm always going to really like. Um, the only thing I put, took it down for was there was like a fire thunder driver spot in the apron where like, it looked like, it I don't know like if they killed side. Yeah. It just didn't look good. So like that could be the problem, but I took it down a little for that, but then back in the ring afterwards, everything looked good again. And then by the time Ishikawa put him away with the giant slam, I just thought it was like an awesome, like really stiff battle. I went four stars on it. I thought it was great. So uh, this was like, you know, an, an awesome match at least. And I think the best match of the entire first round so far. So little disagreement there, <laughs> those two matches. Uh, then we get to Cork and Hall on September 16th. Um, I did 1,306 fans, no vacancy on uh, Respect for Elders Day in Japan on this past Monday. That's why there was a, if you're wondering why there was a Monday noon show, that's there was a national holiday. Uh, it began with Kai and Yuma Aoyagi. Uh, Kai won in nine forty two with the Ganoske clutch, uh, clutch, I should say. Uh, what did you think of this one, Gerard? Uh, I thought it was not bad. I went three and a quarter. I thought though my issue was I thought Aoyagi looked great here. Uh, my issue was with Kai. Uh, he I don't know like he sort of just stood around outside for a bit. When, like, because I thought it got a really cool start with like sort of like the dueling like aerial attacks and attacking before the bell and that that 
that Tope Suicida from Kai looked like awesome. Yeah. But then it was just like some standing around outside that didn't sorry, I went three even on it. And um just some standing outside Kai standing around. They got back in the ring. What does Kai do? Just puts on a figure four on Aoyagi without doing any leg work on him. Um now when Aoyagi sort of got back on offense and powered up towards the end of the match, it was pretty good. And then um I don't know. I don't mind flash pins at all, but I didn't like the way it just worked in this one with uh, Kai's Genesuke clutch. Yeah, that was my one big problem was I thought the cradle could have been a little cleaner. I still went three and a half. I still liked it more than you did. I thought, you know, the, the figure four at the legwork didn't really bother me that much. I thought Aoyagi selling was great. Um, I thought the start of the match was great. The the stretch one with Aoyagi hitting those rolling Germans and then uh, – you know, before Kai countered the Fisherman Buster to the cradle was really good. Maybe I overrated it because I like, I just like both these guys a lot, but like, you know, I I had a good time and I went three and a half. It's it's a half a star. I mean, what does it really matter? Is 2019's uh, year I, of Kai? I guess not, right? Well, <laughs> he's I, I mean, I don't watch a lot of Dragon Gate, but I've seen a couple of things in Dragon Gate this year that I liked in Kai and they had that match against Miyahara. Yeah. I mean, he had a pretty good. I guess he's had a. He's could have definitely could have had a worse year, but I haven't seen a lot of Dragon Gate this year yet. This year at this point, so I can't really. I mean, I hear less complaining about him from the Dragon Gate fans. So well, so yes, twenty nineteen is the year of Kai. There you go. Uh, then Taishi Takizawa defeating Gianni Valletta in nine nineteen with the Takabisha. Takabisha? Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Um, what'd you think of this one? Uh, passable. I went two and three quarters. Um, exactly. It was, you know, like whatever Valada did his stuff was in control for most of the match, some brawling, whatever, uh, some rest holds. Uh, Takizawa eventually took control, hit some nice offense, and uh, won. You know, perfectly passable match. And my point is, like, yeah. you know, Valetta is like, people are trying to argue like Valetta is like worst wrestler of the year. I would argue that he's like tall, simply tolerable, you know, and that kind of thing, right? There's a big difference in those for me. Yeah, I don't think he's bad. I mean, it's very, you know, I think people, it's one of those things where like, no, I'm not on the, Gianni Valletta, <laughs> like the second best worker in the company behind me, a hard train either, though. That's ridiculous, too. Yeah. I mean, like, there's people in front of that, like, went really far with it, but, like, I don't think I think so. Maybe you're almost reacting to that, but I don't think he's a bad wrestler. I think he's perfectly fine. I've seen, I've seen people complain about Valletta, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, but I think maybe some of that has subsided. He, I mean, he's definitely gotten better since he started. Yeah. Um, but yeah, two and three quarters for me as well. I thought it was a perfectly fine match. After that, we have Yoshitatsu and Jiro. Uh, what'd you think of this one? Jiro won in 12 minutes. So my, uh, I ran a whole gamut of emotions during this match. Uh, I liked the way that it, it started with the, the sneak attack, but then I thought the brawling went on for too long and on the outside. Like, you know, they, he, Jiro got his head smashed into both the east and west signs, right? So, of course, they're spending all the time to walk right across Korokin, which takes up a god-awful amount of time. And then back in the ring... Yoshitatsu slaps on some rest holds, whatever. But then all of a sudden, as this match keeps going on, I feel like, damn, it's getting more heated. These guys are doing some stiff shots. The crowd is into it. 
and then um you know jiro roll like getting the sort of cradle on on yoshitachi while he's going for the the koji clutch i thought that was a flash pin that was done well so i ended up going three and a half even though i was like eh when this match started yeah i only went two and a half it just didn't really hold my attention uh, i didn't i didn't hate it or anything i just you know wasn't a, a match that i was in love with um and of course now we it feels kind of stupid that Jiro moved on here and that he's like fucking headlining a, a cork at the end of the month for DET where he can go to sumo halls, extreme champion for double title matches. Like, okay, none of that's happening because he announced on his own produce show. He's going to, going to America, which everybody assumes means going to WWE. So I can't wait until <laughs> Vince sees that jacket. What is Vince going to think of the jacket? <laughs> and there's so many people that have signed. him. like, what, why are we signing these people? Like, I, I, God bless WWE. Not really. But, like, what the fuck? They really needed a a small Japanese man who wears a jacket to the ring. Like, that's really what they were missing to finally put their fucking 500 people on the It's kind of interesting because, like, they're, they're signing, like, all of the cult heroes. Like, sorry. Like, I mean, how many, honestly, how, like, to be honest, like, let's be fair. How many people know who sorry is, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, Jiro's got it. But, but I mean, those that know her love her, obviously. And uh, Jiro's got his own little cult following. So it's funny that they're going after wrestlers like that instead of, you know, bigger names that even, like, even more casual fans might have heard of. I think, if, I feel like at this point they can't get the bigger names from Japan. Right. It's almost like they're going after the, the lesser people. But, yeah, I don't know. I just suck. Like, Jiro, obviously Jiro's going to do, like, Terribly there. I mean, I feel like that's almost goes without saying. Oh, he's going to end but, up in a tag yeah. team with Kushida. Yeah, it's his life. I mean, you know, he can go do yeah. whatever he wants. I, I just kind of curious, wish- though, because it's like, I don't know, like, obviously, maybe like going to the WWE and being a star in America has some cachet in Japan. But also at this point, given how every wrestler has been treated and given how you know WWE now has more Japanese wrestlers at, at one time than it's ever had before. How is that still as alluring, given what's happened to everyone yeah. there? I don't know. Unless the money is just like, I remember so good. I mean, it's great, apparently. So I'm sure that is part of it. But yeah. like, low, I, you really want to go like low Sarai, you know, like that fucking yeah, trademark? Yeah. I so fucking terrible. All right. Um, but yeah, my whole point is I just wish he could have waited to announce that because now it kind of spoils. He's probably going out in the next round and. He's for sure well, also the, the interesting title. thing coming out of this is that the the next round match is Kento Mihara versus Jiro, and they're doing it at Shinkiba first yeah. ring, which I feel like seems like a small place to do a match like that. I feel like you could get a, mm-hmm. put that in a bigger building. That's a good point. Uh, the main event, speaking of Kento, he beat Joe Doring at 11.34, but the uh, shutdown... German suplex told. What do you think of this one? I really like this. Um, I went three and three quarters. Not perfect by any means. Uh, it to me, even more so than some of uh, Kento's shorter champion carnival matches, felt like they were trying to do, let's have a triple crown title match and condense it into like, I don't know, 11 and a half minutes. Uh, also, this is the best uh, that Doring has looked all year. Uh, he was injured uh, during the champion carnival. Uh, which is why he was doing that cross body instead of like 
power bombs has had a shoulder injury apparently and in some of the stuff since then he hasn't looked that great i thought uh his match with uh uh doring against um uh, violent giants in i think june for the tag team titles was sort of disappointed disappointing given some of the matches those teams have had in the past but Doring was off last tour, so he's rested up. I thought he looked really good here. Uh, like I said, has those elements of a Kento Triple Crown title match condensed. Um, only thing I would say is that I thought the ending... I would have gone higher on this match if I thought the ending was a little more thrilling. Like, Joe had gotten a couple more near falls. Mia Hard gotten a couple more near falls. Like, the ending was sort of just like... Doring misses a crossbody, a running crossbody, sort of gets caught in the ropes and then kento just slaps on the shutdown german for the win uh but i thought everything leading up to that was a lot of fun so i was a, just a little bit lower than you i only went three and a quarter um you know just i didn't really think much of anything until right before the 10 minute mark when uh during like no sold that knee from kento and just unloaded on him you know that was like the highlight for me but before that there wasn't a ton there for me um but and, you know maybe just the sudden ending like just not expecting you know the the very quick ending at, at like the ending that comes so fast might have like stunned me so much into a lower rating i don't know but you know i didn't i didn't hate it or anything i thought it was good but you know only three and a quarter good so you know disappointing and not a not a great show and not a great first round i mean the the highest rated match i had was ishikawa and sai which i went four stars on but, you know, there's still a lot of tournament left here as we'll get into the upcoming matches. So, you know, still plenty of time for some better matches. Here. Yeah, I think there will be some better matches going into the next couple of rounds. Um, like, I'm really looking forward to, I think it's, uh, we're getting Nomura versus Zeus, which I have, like, Yeah, absolutely. so let's go through them real quick. Yeah. Uh, well, I know. We're okay, getting- so September 18th. Uh, so September 18th at Shinkiba. We have Kento Miyahara and Jiro. And then we also have Shuji Ishikawa against uh, Takizawa. I'm really excited for Shuji and Takizawa for some reason. I think that could be a, a cool match. Yeah, there are a couple of big guys uh, going at it for sure. And then September twenty uh, September 22nd is when we get the other two matches, which, as you just mentioned, one of them is, um, one of them is Zeus and Nomura. And then the other one is uh, Jake. Is it Jay? No, it's Kai and uh, Kai and Nomura. What am I fuck? No, Kai and Jake Lee. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to like read off. That this could either basically. be awesome or I don't know. Like to me, that's a big question mark. That could be awesome or just like three star special. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, from that. So Kai and Nomura. Yeah, and Zeus and and Zeus and uh... wait, no, I have that reversed. Sorry. Zeus and Nomura, yeah. Kai and Jake Lee. There we go. And Zeus and Nomura, um, <laughs> definitely my most eagerly awaited second round match. I think that would be awesome. And that'll be from Osaka, Adion number two. And then that's on September 22nd. So that'll be next week, or ne- this coming Sunday, actually. And the finals will be in Nagoya on September 23rd at the International Conference Hall event hall. So, um, Still feels like Jake Lee's winning this. I kind yeah, of... uh, especially like with the win over Suwam in the first round, and yeah. also like I don't know how much to read into this because you can't necessarily read into these things in all Japan booking like you can in um, 
New Japan sometimes, but they had a match. Uh, they had a show on September 11th in uh, Shinkiba also, uh, Shinkiba First Ring. And like the main event was like a six man with just all tournament uh, participants. And then after it, everyone gets on the mic and is like, I'm going to win. I'm assuming they're saying like, I'm going to win the Odo tournament. But then, like, everyone leaves, and then Jake Lee is alone in the ring and gets the longest amount of time with the mic, sort of the close to the show. So I thought that might have been some sort of hint. Um, as far as, like, yeah, the, the way the remain match could go, looking at the bracket, I mean, you could have semifinals on one side with Kento and Nomura, so Nomura can get his run over Kento there if he beats Zeus. And then, you know, I mean, or you could have Zeus beat Kento, I guess. But See, I, think- I, would, I would save that big Nomura win over Kento until he finally beats him for the title, but maybe, but yeah, so they either could do a Zeus Jake Lee final or Jake Lee Nomura final. I guess we'll say they could even just uh, do, I, do a Jake, they could even do a Jake Lee oh. Miyahara final. That's not impossible either. I guess. That's a good point. Give Jake his win there and then have, because the they, they've done the, uh, champion goes to the finals of a turn. That's what they did with Mara Fuji in the, in the, in the uh, champion carnival, he beat yeah. uh, Miyahara in the finals, and then they had the title match the next month, and Miyahara beat yeah. him. So that could be very possible. So I guess we'll say because um, they what do they do they have a they don't have a big show coming up, do they? they have to, they're like the one promotion not running sumo hall in in the in month November of October. No, uh, no, the big show in October is just a Corkin. Yeah. But also, I just because like, yeah. sorry, but during the intermission, uh, they made some announcements for the October tour, which is the anniversary tour. Uh, forty, it'll be forty seventh, uh, raising an army tour. Uh, October is the month when that new president takes over, but uh, they announced a bunch of outsiders and some more big Japan participation. So I think it's safe to say this. All Japan's becoming isolationist thing can now finally be laid to rest. Yeah, I mean, I just didn't know how that was ever going to work anyway. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so to answer my own question, like you said, they have two Corkins on the Raising an Army Memorial Series, October 9th, October twenty fourth, and after that, we go straight to the Real World Tag League, uh, November eleventh through December 9th. So, no, like big big shows coming up, I guess. Um, you know, not they're not running sumo hall like seemingly the entire rest of japanese wrestling yeah uh and that remember like big japan noah and dt i think are running them what like three days straight or something Mm -hmm. well i i I will say i expect to see some all japan guys on noah's uh sumo hall show yeah so we'll see what happens there all right um i guess that wraps things up there so let's go ahead and get into some questions i did get a few questions here i think we'll see on new japan Let's see. Uh, should have this open. Oopsie doozy. First question from at uh, at Anders Vilster. With Osprey and Shingo moving to heavyweight and Rapunky 3K facing GOD a few times this year, do you think the line between junior and heavyweight will vanish or are they unique situations? I think they're unique situations. I don't think the the line's going anywhere. I think what people miss about the line between junior and heavyweight isn't so much the, the actual physical weight aspect of it. It's more that it's a booking 
it's like it's a booking um, tool to let people come up slowly and not have to immediately put them in the main events. Like, look, you start off Kenny Omega as a junior and you let him sit there for a couple of years until you need him. You start off Will Ospreay as a junior, you let him sit there for a while, and now you slowly bring him along instead of being you know, burned out on Will Ospreay main events by now. I think the junior heavyweight thing, you know, besides being a size thing, is also good as like a way to keep guys, you know, from climbing through the ranks too quickly. So that's why I do think it is a unique situation. I don't think that's going anywhere. I don't know. Do you disagree with me on this, Gerard? Uh, no, I don't disagree with anything you just said at all. I'll just add, though, uh, like just my opinion, uh, I guess maybe a bit of a hot take, but I don't want there to be just one set of tag titles and the lines completely blurred. I think what the issue is, is the uh, like, because that that was I was fine with it the way the like sort of old New Japan, especially when the junior tag titles were first introduced and you had like teams like Shinjiro Otani and Taki Iwa and like Minoru Tanaka and Liger and all of those and and all of those like classic teams. I think the issue is like just book the tag titles in both weight divisions better and give them more attention. And people yeah. wouldn't be clamoring for like, oh, let's just throw Rapongi 3K and God together all the time or completely blur the lines. I don't think it it's needed. What's needed is smarter booking of each tag title. And look, it's but having the separate divisions and having the separate titles makes this God Rapungi 3K match feel a lot more special yeah. than it would if they were just always in the same division together. So I, I, I completely disagree with the idea that you should get rid of it. I agree. I, I think it's fine the way it is. Uh, at FXK Dreaming, question: Is it gay for two wrestlers to spit on each other for no real reason while grinning like absolute horny bastards? I do think that is pretty gay. Yes, I have to say. If you don't, if you don't follow me on Twitter, that answer probably makes no sense. But Naito uh, and Ibushi, they had this. They had this. I talked a little about this before, I guess. They had this GIF where the two of them were like spitting at each other and grinning, like really, really like grinning about it. And you know, I quote tweeted it and said, um, you know, like these two men. This is not the build to a uh, a, a match. It's the build of the two of them having sex. And some fucking guy like came in my mentions and got very like angry about it. He's like, "Oh, grown ass adults of uh, wrestling Twitter, so weird." I'm like, "Buddy, I'm making a joke." Like he basically acted like. Um, you know, you'd think my tweet was, here is my Tetsuya Naito X J White uh, slash fan fiction. Would you like to come read it on uh, Archive of Our Own or whatever the fuck? And I'm like, look, that's not what that tweet was. It was it was clearly a joke. And the fact that, you know, it was a very popular tweet. Anyone with a sense of humor saw it as a joke. But, you know, this one fucking baby from uh, fucking Barber's Chair Net, one of these WWE... Uh, you know, cheerleader sites, you know, he had to take issue with it because there's people take issue with anything that has anything to do with New Japan. So, you know, and then they, they yell about how uh, New Japan fans are so rude and uh, New Japan fans are so nasty. It's like, well, I'm over here minding my own business, making a joke about two wrestlers I like, and you're all up in my business about it. Maybe, maybe fuck off. <laughs> maybe fuck off. Uh, but yes, to answer his question, it is indeed gay. I think what we're going to get, what 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 this what this feud is going to do uh, by the end of it is people are going to be demanding uh, at the end of the year that there's a new category of sexiest feud of the year. 
Like, look, this feud is very horny. Yeah. The two of them are like, it's very horny. Like, the two of them act like they're going to fuck each other. Okay? And look, and I, I don't even want to act like before, like there's anything wrong with writing fucking wrestling slash fan fiction. If that's your thing, you know, knock yourself out. You can even slide in my DMs with the link later. I don't even care. But look, <laughs> I'm just saying my thing was absolutely a joke. Okay? It was clearly a joke. And the only person that took it uh, so fucking seriously was that guy and his stupid buddy. So whatever. Stupid I- drama. Did you think before this feud started that these two would have this kind of chemistry? What you know, even if it wasn't necessarily this sexy or whatever, but just that they would have like this sort of incredible chemistry that they do. Uh, I can't say it was a complete surprise because I think they're both like you know very like slimy almost. They're both like very um, you know they have that like very like douchebag energy, you know. <laughs> so and I, I like them both. I love Naito, obviously, but they they have that energy of like, you know, kind of like slimy assholes. So I'm not really surprised. It's like, to me, it was going to go one of two ways. Like, either they would have no chemistry at all because they're too similar and it wouldn't work at all. Or they would have great fucking chemistry and the, the feud would be awesome. And, you know, I'm glad it went that way. So, um, at yesterday dances, where the fuck is Mikey Nichols? First of all, you might be the only person who gives a shit. That's a hell of a question. Uh, I think he's hurt, right? Isn't he? I, I just assume that. that they're cycling him in and out as they need him. I don't know. I haven't heard he was hurt. Yeah, but I, it would just make sense. Like, I mean, you know, some people have gotten destruction off. He was obviously not going to be in the G1. I, I'm sure he's going to be in World Tag League. Um, now, I don't I don't watch yeah. NXT weekly. Uh, uh, I watch uh, TakeOver sometimes. The only way I know what's going on in NXT is Joe Lanza's Thursday TV reviews. But I could have sworn that in the last couple of weeks – the the name Shane Thorne came up, so I'm not sure that Shane Thorne is about like anytime soon about to leave WWE. But I could just see yeah. him and Juice uh, teaming at World Tag League. Well, I think he is hurt because according to Cage Match, his last appearance even in Australia was July 13th. So mm. uh, her other question was, when will David Finley come back? Uh, I would think soon. You'd think he'd be almost healed by now, but wasn't it as many? Wasn't it like like seven or eight months? Some of the like the on the long end of the recovery. Yeah, which would put it like it would put like ne- like October, November. Right. So yeah, and also um, New Japan has shown about a certain uh, person that's been injured for a while that sometimes they uh, time the returns not based on when they physically can, but when the time is right. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple questions here to wrap up here from uh, Guy Yeager, which I'm, I apologize for mispronouncing that. What if this Ikemen moving to USA stuff is just a ploy for him to join Bullet Club and he appears in San Jose wearing a Bullet Club themed blazer? Is that better or worse than going to WWE? Uh, look, I, I'm not going to, I can't be one of these people out here being like, it's the same thing or going to WWE is better than the New Japan Junior Division. Like, of course it'd be better. I mean, look, Bullet Club is kind of whatever, but like at least they have, at least, first of all, at least you'd be able to watch him wrestle, you know? Like we would see him on television more than like once every fucking six months. Like I feel like you see people look, in WWE. Jiro forming a tag team with Bad Luck Fale would be better than him going to WWE. <laughs> I mean, there's no comparison. Like, there's no comparison. Um, 
and then he says, if you could choose any Fed employed wrestler, and, you know, it means WWE, who is in a down period there to rehab in a puro company, who would it be and where? What do you think, Gerard? Who are you rehabbing? Uh, I'd, I'd send Rusev to all Japan. <laughs> that would be fucking awesome. But look, he's he's Maria's baby daddy. So, I mean, look. Oh, yeah, he came back last night, I guess. Uh, who else? I can't even think who else is down. I don't know. I would have said Luke Harper in All Japan too, but he's back as well. Yeah, they got to use everybody now because you know. Uh, I know some people have said that Mo- Mojo Raleigh should go to Japan, but I I don't know. Please, um, I'm gonna go with Shinsuke Nakamura <laughs> because I think that guy could use a new start. Although people have been. I don't know. People talk up his Japan. Has he been good since he won the Intercontinental title? I don't Some know. I, say- I've only, I swear to God, I've only watched one episode of Raw and no SmackDown in the last six weeks. But So I haven't really okay. seen anything from the latest. But like, I don't know. Maybe Apparently, they, I, I heard they have him doing commentary now. Uh Oh, okay. I thought he was Intercontinental Champion. Well, yeah, but no, no, no. It was just like it was an angle. Like I think it was like Sami Zayn wrestling and right. and Nakamura doing the commentary, sort of as like a a joke of the gimmick that they're doing, where Sami Zayn being uh, Nakamura's mouthpiece. I think that's what the idea was. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I I I, I guess Shinsuke in New Japan to save his career why not i'm yeah, just I, I I, okay so if if shinsuke appeared in new japan tomorrow and you put him in the ring with someone like abushi or okada or tanahashi how good a match do you think shinsuke can still have i don't know that's a good question look after after what john moxley did i'm never gonna count anybody out coming from wwe because well john you know, well yeah but i mean i'm ta- like health wise though it was a little different yeah no no, no I, I hear you but i just mean like I, I can't I, I feel like I can no longer base what someone might do outside of WWE. Yeah, see, based I asked, on- sort of, sorry, but also like the same thing is with me and AJ. Like how much is AJ he's in his early forties and his body's catching up to him, or I just get signed a new contract extension and I can coast, right? Yeah. Like just nobody there there's no I, I it just feel like there's no incentive. And I feel like I, we're talking way too much about WWE, which unfortunately I really, I legitimately have not watched it like four months. So they could be like the greatest fucking promotion of all time for all I know. I'm confident they're not based on what everybody else says, you know, people I trust. But for all I know, they could be the greatest promotion of all time. So I shouldn't talk too much shit about them because I don't watch them. Um, but yes, I mean, after Moxley going from WWE to New Japan and, you know, being that good when I never cared about him in WWE or at least not since the, the shield original originally split up. You know, I can't I can't write off anybody. Fucking I don't know who who fucking sucks. Uh you know, Mojo Raleigh for one. He could go to fucking Japan and tear it up. Would I be surprised if that happened tomorrow? I, I wouldn't really because you know, we already saw what John Moxley did. So it's like, you know, there's nobody in that company really that could go, you know, fucking Jinder Mahal could go. Well, it's funny cuz I I was reading these stories about like Dana Brooke, like is really like wanting to like work hard and like show management that like, you know, to push her and that she takes everything very seriously. I say send her to stardom for a couple of tours. Yeah. I'm pretty much, there's really nobody in the company that wouldn't probably be a lot better. Like I don't, yeah. I don't 
know who would be well, worse. Well, the Miz? I don't know. Because, like, The Miz is, like, a, a, a purebred, like, WWE. And I actually even kind of like The Miz. But, like, he's purebred WWE. I like so I could uh, see his, his this whole so. idea of how to put a match clashing very heavily, even especially in Japan. Or even on an indie outside yeah. of WWE somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so let's wrap it up here. Gerard, give me some plugs. Uh, yeah, so there will be uh, there's continuing coverage of the Odo tournament at uh, Voices of Wrestling that I'm going to be that I've done some, and I know uh, Thomas, who was on last week, um, is going to be doing a show or two. Uh, also, if you or you know anyone who votes in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, please bully them until they say that they will be voting for June Akiyama. And and I'm going to say June and Mako too, please. Okay. Um, and also the, Oshima. Uh, I could, uh, I think he deserves <laughs> it. And Hayabusa. And that's it. <laughs> I was, how about Tawai? Um, yeah, you got to throw Tawai in there too. But I just find that Akiyama is the most glaring. Um, yes, yes. I, I mean, I totally agree. Akiyama is like seriously one of. Especially I mean, with Nagata in there. I, oh, yeah. I, I, Akiyama, like, if you ask me, is he one of the best of all time? Like, to narrow it down, he has to be at least top 10. Yes. And longevity, because he yeah. was good from day one. Yeah, I just I don't know. I just can't. It's really bizarre. He's not, and it's not like it's not like he. Does, I mean, he's one of the best in run workers of all time. You know, it's not like he doesn't have a bunch of a bunch of matches where he drew. He saved all Japan. I, it just makes no sense to me that he's not in. But anyway, we're we're going to talk about that in a future episode. So I should save it. I just bully anyone until they vote for Akiyama. Yes, um, but yeah, so. If you're interested in reading my my thoughts on that, of course, you can go to, as I mentioned at the start of the show, voicesofwrestling.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. Wrestling did not fit. Next week, we're going to be back with a lot of the same kind of stuff we talked about today because uh, we're going to wrap up the Destruction Tour with Destruction in Kobe. Uh, we're going to wrap up the, the Odo Tournament with the last three nights. Uh, I'm going to be joined by a returning guest from last year, TJ, who runs the Russell One English blog? Uh, he'll be on next week to help me break all that down. Uh, and we're also going to talk some Joshi as well. We're going to talk the end of the Tokyo, or the end of the Stardom Five Star Grand Prix, assuming that's up in time for us to talk about it because you never really know with uh, Stardom World. And we're also going to talk about the um, the a couple of Tokyo Joshi Pro shows from this past week. So that'll be next week. Some Joshi, uh, Destruction in Kobe, and the end of the Ojo tournament. Uh, in the meantime, like I said, if you enjoyed this episode and want to pass us a few bucks, you can go to redcircle.com slash shows slash wrestling uh, dash omakase, O-M-A-K-A-S-E. Um, and, you know, leave us a positive view on iTunes. That always helps too. In the meantime, thank you as always for listening. And we'll see you next time. As the new year unfolds, make it a year of comfort and indulgence with Minky Couture. Wrap yourself in the lap of luxury with our exquisite blankets. Picture the cozy moments, the warmth of our premium materials, and the stylish designs that define Minky Couture. Welcome the new year with the ultimate in comfort and sophistication. January is your month to embrace luxury. Visit MinkyCouture.com or your nearest store today. Elevate your comfort, elevate your style with Minky Couture.